The legends are true. But overwhelming power! The sauce of destiny. Yes! The most legendary sauce has arrived as McDonald's transforms into the anime world of Wickdonald's. The greatest flavors unite in all new savory chili McDonald's sauce to make your 10-piece Nuggets, fries, and Sprite ultra-powerful. Unlock manga comics with every meal and sit down for a new anime short every week only at Wickdonald's. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba, go! And participate in McDonald's for a limited time while supplies last. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra-low, net-carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co. You're listening to From the Pink Seats Podcast of the State of Louisville Podcast Network. Now, here's your host. Jacob Lane, Matt McGavin, and Vince 2023 season in review from the Pink Seats Podcast, presented by Frankfurt Avenue Liquors and Wine. 2115 Frankfurt Avenue is where you can find them, right next to the Manhattan Project. I'm Jacob Lane, joined as always by Matt McGavick and Vince Lococo, and we continue on diving into what took place in 2023 for Louisville football and Jeff Brom's first season as head coach. Uh, and last week we met with Keith Wynn and talked very high level about Louisville football season. And tonight we're going to kind of uh, dive much deeper, specifically on the offensive side of the football. And we'll do so in, in the way we typically do. We've got great guests and we'll dive into it from a, hopefully a player's perspective as well. Dave Skull joins us tonight to talk about Louisville football's offensive performance in 2023. And there's a lot of really interesting storylines that we'll dive into tonight on the show. Uh, fellas, I, I just... I know as we talk about, there's a lot going on uh, off the field and around the program, but I still think that as we look to 2024, it's very important for us to look back at the data and look at the season and really understand what happened. And I hope that our audience is enjoying this because I'm learning a lot about this team, just as we do every year post-mortem. I mean, really, you know, after the season of really what, what did we miss in those details in real time? So I think this is another great episode because the offense was, you know, such an interesting topic all year long. I mean, we won 10 games. It was great and everything, but, you know, it was nice to be able to look back at the details and be able to point out where things went wrong and where we were kind of right on where things went wrong throughout the season, where we were wrong, where things went wrong throughout the season. Uh, it's just cool. It's, a, you know, it's the same thing as the same thing we used to do whenever I worked for Satterfield. It's a self-scout evaluation. And, uh, you know, Matt's even working on PFF over here for us and everything. Same thing we'd be doing in the facility. So, I mean. Look at that, man. Yeah. Yeah, right. Making, making yeah, come it, alive. It, it was nice to have Dave on, someone who, you know, played football at, at once upon a time at Louisville to kind of help dissect things and kind of. What am I not I good enough? Say I did... Am I not good enough now? Huh? Yeah. I didn't play football? Huh? Yeah, I didn't play football. To, to help identify maybe not what went wrong, but what could have been better. Mm. He's saying your brain don't work like that. Yeah, I think you just said I'm not good enough. He's saying you're dumb. You're a fullback. I'm saying Dave's brain has less <laughs> <Okay>. CTE. <laughs> right, right. Dave's brain is in much better form than Vince's. That might um, be true. That might be true. That might be true. But it's uh, a lot to, as I mentioned, a lot to dive into and a lot to talk about. A lot of entertaining topics. You know, I know that the Jack Plummer thing all year long was, you know, kind of the the unfortunate part of Louisville. But I do think that there's a lot of different points that you can make and different, you know, angles that you can kind of take to talk about that it's not always so black and white there's context there's nuances to everything that happens uh, on the game uh, and there's such a small margin for any football team but, but particularly in year one as you're building a roster and so 
a lot of things that we're going to do on the show, a lot of things we're going to talk about on the show. Uh, and, and one thing that I can't, I cannot wait for is Evan Conley. And and guys, when you talk about a guy, what he meant to the team and what he's been through and what um, a player like him ultimately like may not have the impact in the statistical realm, but their impact is felt in every way. When you talk about Evan and you talk about some of the things he's overcome and you talk about the, ultimately this season, what it looked like compared to maybe what he thought his career would look like. It's just a great con- uh, contrast of, of storytelling and just things yeah. happening in real time in football, man. And, and I think that this, uh, this offensive episode will help us really not only again, go back to last year, but really set the scene for next year. I mean, he was a kid that was, you know, supposed to be at app state. If you all remember correctly, was an app state commit. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah. I remember his official visit. I was still a player at the time. Whenever he was, he came on his official visit, and I remember trying to get him uh, a kid named Jackson Gregory at the time. If y'all remember that name, oh yeah, I do. That, remember oh, that name. Yeah, yeah, ended yeah, up transferring out, and yeah. uh, Zach Williams was also mm-hmm. on that official visit. So I mean, mm-hmm. these are dudes that it has been really cool to see develop and grow before my own eyes, before our eyes. I mean just to watch them develop and the games that they've won and having to step in in big time moments and uh, having to battle adversity like injuries and stuff and being able to bounce back from that. That's crazy. Not a lot of guys do that. I mean, I know I bounced after my second ACL surgery because it sucked so much. Yeah, man. (laughs) I I mean, yeah. So great episode all the way around um, and we'll continue on. Well, we got a lot to, to dissect. And so, Without further ado, we will jump into that. Can't thank you all enough for tuning into the show from the Pink Seeds Podcast, presented by Frankfurt Avenue Liquors and Wine on the State of Louisville Podcast Network, which is powered by our friends at Kern's Corner. Make sure you support the sponsors. That's part of supporting the show. We can't thank you all enough for that. Um, and be sure to to give the guys here a follow on Twitter at Matt underscore McGavick and check out Louisville Report of Sports Illustrated at Vincent Lococo. And of course, at Pink Seats Pod, at the State of Lou and the State of Louisville Podcast Network on YouTube. Without further ado, let's do it, fellas. We'll talk offense with Dave Skull and then dive into things with our good friend Evan Conley on the other side. Very, very excited for this show tonight. We get this opportunity one time a year, and it's not enough in my personal opinion, but it is the the best quality time. Like, there's quantity, and then there's quality, and that's what we get each year when we are joined by our good friend Dave Skull. Uh, And Dave, we are super excited to talk uh, nerdy football with you because I I would imagine when it comes to the radio, like, you, you probably can't dive into the super specifics of scheme and stats and all that fun stuff, and that's what we're here to do, man. So, first of all, welcome. How are you? I'm good, man. I appreciate you uh, inviting me in. It's always a good time. I always love to uh, to get into the nitty gritty. And yeah, you know we uh, we can get a little nerdy on radio for sure, but we we try to you know keep it keep it palatable for the for the the normal listener. But a lot of people listen and they want to hear. Like we start getting into it, and you'll get some text like, "All right, let's keep going." Let's go down this road. And it's like, yeah, all right. Well, somebody just jumped in the car with his kids at like 4.30 in the afternoon. I don't know if they really want to hear about this. <laughs> <laughs> exactly, man. Well, I know that uh, our audience wants to hear about all of it. So all the takes you've saved this season can come out now on this show, man. Uh, and we continue right along in the 2023 in review uh, as we look back to last year and really try to study and understand Jeff Brom, study and understand what Louisville football was, why they fell short in some of the ways that they did, and, and ultimately why the season played out the way that it did. Started last week with Keith Wynn, um, really at a high level, and now we're we're going to talk a lot offensively tonight, Dave. And as we mentioned in the intro, we've got some storylines to kind of dive into, maybe some expectations and kind of what we expected versus what we saw. And then 
what I believe will be the best part of the show, a new segment that we're going to introduce just for you, man. This is this is your show. We're just <laughs> here for it. Called Meme the Moment. So we'll dive into all of that plus a lot more um, talking offense. And, and fellas, um, we could go, a, you know, really a number of different directions here. Um, you know, when you look at Louisville from a statistical standpoint offensively, they they kind of started, you know, hot out of the gate. If you remember the Georgia Tech games and the Indiana game and the Murray State game and some of those games in the first five or six, Louisville was, you know, top 20, top 25 total offense, had a great uh, passing attack that really, you know, it wasn't necessarily statistically dominant, but you had Jamari Thrash who looked like he was going to have, you know, a record-breaking year for Louisville. And then, you know, Jawar Jordan is exactly what we all thought he was going to be plus some. And then you get Isaac Gariendo and all these guys, right? And you're like, holy crap, this is Jeff Brown. This is so much fun. This is awesome. But then it starts to kind of peter out as the year goes on and things happen and injuries set in. And that's the challenge of football because if it was played on paper, I would have been an all-star, but it's played <laughs> on the field and injuries happen <laughs> and it shifts the way that the game is played. And ultimately for Louisville, Dave, that's really what happened. And it was, it was tough for Jeff and his personnel to try to match what they started at. So let me start with, with this question and, and we can kind of start here, but in your mind, when you look at the offense in 2023 and you think of what Jeff Brom is and what we saw, is there anything that kind of stands out, grabs your attention and saying like, that's the big thing this year offensively. You know, uh, what I've always loved about Jeff Brom's offense is that he can cater to his personnel, but he's, People get and people were the same way with Petrino. They they always remember the passing, you know, and they talk about the the spread offenses and the and then run throwing it up and down the field. And what I always remember with offenses like Petrino or Braum is that it's a feed the studs mentality. It's a balanced offense. You know, you're not gonna necessarily toss the ball 45 50 times if the personnel doesn't call for it you know or if the situation doesn't call for it and I thought he did a really good job this year of uh for the most part of having a balanced attack and kind of taking what the defense gives you um and there's no generally speaking and we kind of touched on this a little bit before we started the pod there there aren't any wasted play calls you know, which is which is why I love watching a, a Brom offense. I just love watching the, the 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 drives develop, watching the route trees develop, which is like a a bad word when Satterfield was was coaching. Not to, <laughs> not to get into that right away. I know Vance. <laughs> the one thing that that drove me crazy with it was I just thought it was the most unsophisticated route trees I've ever seen in my life. Oh yeah, you know, it's and, a post, and there will be an out, and oh yeah, yeah, yeah. So. You understand it. You were there. Like I, it was I like know. with with set it, with watching Brahms' offense. You mentioned that route tree and stuff. It's like somebody painting a fine picture, right? And it's yeah. you know every swipe and everything is very articulate, important, and everything matters. Whereas Sat's more like a clip art, like boom, <laughs> boom. This is what you got, right? Like here's your post. Here's your over. You know, I mean, it's it's just a little bit. The details aren't in it. Everything's a uh oh what's the right right word it's like a combination it all kind of works off each other yin and a yang but right with brahms everything's nice and pretty it's like a picasso painting sometimes right it felt it felt like with satterfield it was an afterthought or it was a all right we're gonna run everything off of the inside and outside zone and then just two two go deep you know and and we'll hit them and that'll that'll take <laughs> down, the <laughs> down there somewhere know, and, and, yeah two two's open somewhere right uh but when you don't have a singular talent like that it really gets exposed pretty quickly now with Brahm, i mean he can take most personnel you throw at him and he can make he can make a passing game out of it now how successful it's going to be what it's going to look like 
whether you're going to be able to connect on those deep throws um, is going to vary with the amount of talent he's got. But he's he can, we've seen him throughout his career. Like he can take some uh, three or four two star receivers, you know, and a walk on quarterback and he can put up 400 yards a game passing if he needs to. I think that Jacob mentioned that IU game and that was the one for me where, you know, early on we saw in the second half kind of like Jack, what, how Jack really, you know, you know, how he was going to be the rest of the year, how almost a telling of this, of the last three games, the Florida state game was the entirety or the second half of the IU game was the entirety of the Florida state game. And Mm -hmm. It, I, I think that's the most frustrating thing for me is just the pittering out against you know lesser opponents or whenever sometimes the foot should be on the gas and it feels like it's just not there and that's I don't know I don't know if that's every ball coach you know has that moment where they're in the in their gut and they don't know if they should continue to push the pace or if they should bring it back a little or what but uh, that was really one of the gripes for me early on in the season at least. And something for me was that for the offense, well, let me say by conversely with the defense, it got better as the season went along. Now, it it was kind of inconsistent towards the end, but you could see that as the season went on, it got better. I don't want to say that the offense full-on regressed as the season went on, but it surely didn't get better, especially when – Jaws was hurt. Now, Isaac did come in and, and kind of salvage things in the run game, but mm. we saw that when Jamari Thrash got hurt, and we'll dive into this later in the episode, when Thrash got hurt, no one in that receiver core really stepped up, and so the passing game took a big hit because then you've got a quarterback like Jack Plummer who is making occasionally fresh mis- freshman mistakes as a six-year senior without his all-ACC caliber wide receiver. So, with how pass-heavy that a typical Brom offense is, it took a bit of a step back in that regard. But with how well the run game was going, I don't want to say it full-on regret, regressed, regressed. Oh my goodness! You're right. <laughs> Promise, I'm good. It's it's like it was it was it was handicapped, I guess. Yeah, Wadja Wabbit over there, man, for sure. <laughs> That's the thing is that as good as I, as much as I respect Brahm as an offensive coach, there was there was something not missing. Well, yeah, I guess that might be right. And and part of it in the second half of the season was not having a fully healthy Jamari Thrash, and also uh, the way teams were defending him to a degree. Like when they got physical with him, uh, there were a few games where. And this is not to say it was like it's not blaming referees or anything, but you have to adjust to the way that the game is called, you know, where Devonshire, I mean, full on assaulted him the entire pit game. And it seemed like we just kept tossing the ball to him, begging for a flag. And after the third time, it's like, you're not getting the flag. You know, we had to figure out some way to advance the ball. You know, and that's the same way it was in the Florida State game. They kept throwing these back shoulder passes um, or weird fades on like third and two trying to get a flag. You know, and Jamari Thrash is he's getting accosted, but they're not throwing the flag. We can find another way to get two yards. And those situations were it was a little alarming alarming at the time. It's like, man, I know Brahm's a better play caller than this. You know, like I I I don't understand what's going on here. But I think it also kind of exposed the rest of the receiving core, which I I was really positive on going into the the season. And I thought there were games where they were great, 
but we sort of failed to consistently have that second threat, you know, opposite of Jamari Thrash, where early in the season, I thought maybe it would be Kevin Coleman, but he had a lot of case of the drops, you know, early on. And then Chris Bell would emerge for a game or two, but he wasn't consistent. A lot of guys had a case of the drops. It wasn't just him. You're right. No, it wasn't just Coleman. But like then Bell would would emerge and 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 have a good game or two and then disappear. You know, and then we would have a a, a flash from from Jaden Thompson or Jimmy Calloway, uh Amari Huggins Bruce, you know, all of them would have moments, but nobody would sustain it. So a group that I thought preseason was going to be really deep and I liked the options proved to be deep. But nobody really stepped up to be those concrete second and third options behind Jamari Thrash, and it was exposed uh, a little bit in the second half of the year. Then, of course, I don't want to, like, drone on between subjects and jump around, but as good as Isaac Grindle was, and he proved to be much more explosive than any of us thought, I think, as a when he settled into the primary back role when Jawar Jordan was hurt, there were still those plays, you know, that – there was just a split second of an opening that Jawar Jordan might take to the house that were a two or three yard gain, you know, with Grindo or with a slowed down Jawar Jordan at the end of the year. I mean, how many times in the Kentucky game, I think there were three or four runs, uh, three or four sweeps or tosses on the edge that he was tackled for a two or three, maybe even five or six yard game where I was like, good Lord, that was housed in September. It was gone because he was his next level back with speed that you just can't, you can't compete with. Uh, so you take plays like that that were with a replacement level back, maybe a three-yard gain, and he was taking him, you know, 30 yards, 40 yards, 70 yards for a touchdown. It's it's It was just, you know, we kind of all thought based off of how hit Jawar Jordan's season ended last year that he was going to take that step in for the first, what, the first six games of the season, essentially. I mean, he was – I don't want to say a Heisman candidate because at that point of the season, it's really too early to kind of judge that group based making on the some noise, but he was making definitely some noise. All American. Yeah. 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 And I think, oh, yeah. I think for me, like, uh, you know, I, I, Vince, you had a player comparison for him that really still has stuck with me. And I think that when you look at him at the next level, Alvin Kamara is a great example mm-hmm. of what he can mm-hmm. be, you know, he can play in the backfield. He can, he can run between the tackles. He can, you know, get into the open space. He can, he can do a little bit of everything. And we saw him catch the football this year, and his injury definitely um it definitely hurt Louisville's offense, no pun intended. I mean, it was it was a big miss, just as it was for Jamari Thrash. But I felt like in a way, you know, he provided a security blank blanket for Jack that when he was on the field, Jack played better. I mean, you can look at that for the most part of the season and see those correlations. And I don't necessarily know, it's not as if Jack threw him the ball 50 times a game, but it's just there was always that comfort there of Jaws can carry us, you know. And then when it was like Jack's moment to do so, you get the Virginia game, which we'll get to in a little bit where he throws the pick. Well, oh, well, it's, know, it's, it's just it's moments Jack's like that. Confi- it's Jack's confidence and knowing that. You know, if we give the ball to Jaws on first down, I'm I'm going to be working with positive yards more than likely, and it's not just going to be, mm-hmm. you know, to biscuits a point. It's not going to be two or three yards. It's probably going to be like a six to eight yard carry of a gain. And you know, I have a lot less to work with, and I can play around a little bit with second down and third down if I really need to, you know, get something here. I can get something. Just stay so ahead of sure. schedule. You know, exactly. Staying on there, schedule, yeah. keeping the chains moving, constantly getting yeah. positive. Yeah. 
I, I want to talk a little bit about the wide receivers because I know, again, and we're going to have a more nuanced conversation about Jack Plummer here in a few minutes, but I want to talk sure. about this because Dave, you brought this up and mentioned a couple of these guys and Matt, we've talked a lot about this. It's like you get a guy like Jimmy Callaway in the portal and you're like, my God, he could be, you know, one of the best players on Louisville's team next season. And then his highlight moment is catching a blocked uh, punt into the end zone in a very big moment. Like, don't get me wrong. Great. But you never see it. Right. Jaden Thompson's big moment is that touchdown. I believe I forget who was against that was not called a touchdown when it was a touchdown had another one late in the season. I think that you have these moments where these guys don't step up. Kevin Coleman early in the year. I mean, he looked electric, man. It looked yep. like he was really going to be everything mm -hmm. that, um, you saw flashes of at Jackson State in his first season. Um, and then, you know, you have a game like Boston College with Amari Huggins-Bruce where he goes over 100 yards. I think he was the only receiver outside of Jamari Thrash to go over 100 yards in the season. Again, talking about that. But why why is it that these guys didn't develop more? Is it a lack of quarterback that they, you know, obviously you can see quarterbacks get the most out of wide receivers, right? I mean, you as a Jets fan, I know you didn't get to see it this year, but like you're expecting Aaron Rodgers to get the most out of um, Garrett Wilson and the most out of Randall Cobb, right? And those are completely different parts of the spectrum as a wide receiver. So is that part of it? Do you think that these guys just ultimately weren't great fits for this offense or was it just that, you know, a combination of all these things, their roles changing all year long, um, you know, all of those guys dealt with injury, you know, heading either in the, in the off season, heading into the season during the season. What, what is it in your mind with these wide receivers? Cause on paper, you would have thought they would have had a better year and you wouldn't be talking about Amari Huggins, Bruce, Kevin Coleman ending up in other places. So I'm a little, uh, you mentioned Randall Cobb, so I might have to take a break from the podcast and <laughs> and collect myself and just remember that the Jets paid that guy to play football this year. Um, oh, Al Lazard. Yeah, yeah. That, <laughs> Aaron, throw the ball better than Wilson did. <laughs> at least Lazard could – you could look at him and be like, all right, he's 6'5", he's younger. Uh, he's been a successful receiver in this decade. You know, Randall Cobb's there. Yeah. I mean, come on now. Anyway. Nobody wants to hear about that on this podcast. Look, I'm. I think that part of it was kind of. The, I mean, and, and we'll get into to Jack Plummer. He was such an enigma, and I think you can't such an inconsistent player. And I think you can't really talk about these receivers without talking about Jack to a degree. You know this 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 season, and that's not to say that there weren't tons of drops early, in, or especially early in the year, and on on plays that you just can't you can't have drops but when it felt like we were starting to click and go all of a sudden you know jack would have almost the yips again like that's what it felt like to me like he yeah. would he would lose his his basic technique his basic just fundamentals his footwork would go out there i mean that's what happened in the georgia tech game you watch him every one of those throws was yeah, horrible form. Like I, it looked like it looked like somebody playing backyard football yeah, that had I never bitched played about it all year, Dave. I mean, the back yeah. what bothered me was whenever he threw his, his deep balls, it looked like he was coming through with like a 90 mile per hour fastball, whipping his leg all the way over. Oh, yeah. I'm, I'm like, what are you like? <laughs> yeah, it's get it's your like hip into week, it and let it go. It's, he's like crow hopping. He jumped it, on two of those. Yeah, he Sorry, did. That's a jump, Matt. It, yeah. It's Johnny Manziel and Mike Glennon if they had a baby. That's what Jack Plummer was this week. <laughs> I mean, you get a 5'9 guy with the longest neck in the world. <laughs> right. He's 6'4, right? Since, yeah, we're on but, the, since we're on the topic, 
object because, like you said, Dave, you can't talk about one without. You can't the talk other. about the receivers without talking yeah, about Jack. I feel like right. that that was the whole that's the answer. Right there. Yeah, that's exactly. the answer. Then. Exactly. You can't throw anybody open. You got to have a quarterback to be able to yeah. throw some of these guys open when they are when they aren't separating themselves, and that's what separates a really good quarterback from just you know a quarterback that you can live with, like Jack. Um, and I mean, the receivers at the same time, they were getting manhandled a lot of the games. Yeah. I mean, you have to adapt to how the game is playing. Like you said, Dave, we talked about it constantly in Brewers room. Like when receivers would come to the sideline, we'd always ask them like, what's going on? How's it, what, what are you seeing out there? And I mean, if they're telling them, you know, if they're, if you're getting pressed, get your hands up as yep. a, as a, as a, uh, as a receiver. I can't remember who it was. I think Tyreek Hill had just got jammed in the previous Dolphins game. And it was, it was crazy. His hands were still in his hand warmer at the line of scrimmage. And, I mean, DB's impressed and got his hands on. And that's what you saw a lot this year was just the physicality, you know, outbeat us. And you can be physical as a wide receiver. You got, In my opinion, you can be more physical as a receiver than you can a DB. 100, yeah. 100%. Oh, yeah. So, that I don't know. It's just surprising, especially – I mean, receivers are the e- – I said it last week. Receivers are the ego-filled room. You would expect one of them to be like, oh, shit, you're going to throw me the ball more? Sign me up. Right. Sign me up, yeah. But that's the yeah. thing. Like, Mark and I <laughs> talked about this a lot on, on the show during the season is that it did feel like they got bullied as the year went on a little bit. Like, the, the DBs decided they were going to get physical, and if the refs aren't calling it, you know, if, if they're going to keep, you know, uh, 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 roughing you up 10, 15 yards down the field with the ball in the air – I mean, at some point you just gotta you gotta go back at them, and I don't know if that just wasn't there in their nature. You know, Jamari's not like a super physical guy; he's pretty small. Uh, Coleman's not a very big guy. You know, Chris Bell's really the big, the biggest receiver we got on that team as far as physicality, and and <laughs> I I thought he struggled sometimes with separation too. You know, so it's see, he's a dude you would expect to even if there's not separation, if the ball's in the air. I like his odds to go up and get it just because right, just right. because of how big he is. Big and strong. And we've seen him do it too. Yes. Yeah. yeah he's I mean, he's built. Look at you. Yeah, a little, it, it, little, it, little seemed... nugget of statistic there yeah. of Matt's stats yeah. coming in a little bit. Little nuggets right. of it. Ooh. It, Ooh. it seemed like the chem, the overall chemistry between quarterback and receiver just it, it wasn't getting to where it could, and it wasn't through fault of just one party. We saw with the receivers. They weren't as physical as they could have been. They kind of struggled to generate space and separation and get away from DBs and, and things of that nature. And then you've got Plummer, who was consistently inconsistent. And one one play, his mechanics would look fine. He would deliver a good ball with conviction. And then the next play, it'd be like backyard football. He'd just be like, fuck it, Tyreek is down there somewhere. It's I, you couldn't I really you, you didn't know what jack you were going to get and then when you throw in the fact that the that the receivers weren't maybe quite as physical as we would have liked you kind of have almost a pass game that's almost i don't want to say doomed from the start because they obviously did some great things this year but they were doomed from reaching their potential what I, what i was going to say is what bothered me a lot was Jeff at the same time would see Jack is getting uncomfortable would see. I mean, I know he could see it cause we all saw it like where he's getting antsy footwork's going out of whack and stuff like that, but he wouldn't call the play. It, at least it felt like to dial him back in Jack loved those like five to six yard hitches. 
something really quick that he can read early on, early at the line of scrimmage. I don't know what it was, but that was the, in my opinion, that was his best footwork and his best ball was always that like five to six yard hitch to Jamari Thrash or whoever was on the outside. And that's what I would immediately, as soon as I saw him getting out of whack and that sort of mindset, you know, bring him to the side. We're going to run this play. We're going to bring it back in and then obviously run the ball, figure it out after that. Yeah. So that's the thing when we talk about the, the, the downside of the offense this year, I mean, it couple of obvious things and, and they have to do with Jack, but people were getting really frustrated with Jack after Pitt, and I didn't attribute any of that to him. I mean, I don't understand why we had 55 plus dropbacks in that weather, you know, like it's, Oh yeah. You, you, that's, that's, we all know how many bad things, one bad thing can happen when you run the ball, you know, a, a thousand bad things could happen. I want to know how many times Big Ben dropped back 55 times in that stadium. In his entire career. <laughs> yes. <laughs> you know what I mean? And like in, in that weather, that night playing that quarterback, I just, I, yeah. the play calling that week, I think that, and Jeff was, one thing that he's great about is he owns mistakes and he's self-reflective. And I think that he, he owned it pretty good in his press conference that week, but I'm sure oh, yeah. he sat there and stared at the stat sheet after that game and went, how many fucking times did we throw the ball? You know, like how did yeah. I get to I, that? How did that happen? I you know, he so pulled, we talk about he pulled his brothers into the room. Yeah. You ever let me do that again? Right. Hit me in the face. But look, look Greg, here's where the thing. Where are you? Come it's, on. That's why it, you're on the sideline with me. But like this, this is the um but like to pick that game, you know, uh, Jamar was held in that play, sure, but the fumbles inside the 25 were that yeah. really killed us, you know, in that game. And that was a theme all year with Jack, the ball security, the fumbles, like it, it, it was as much that and his tendency to panic when he got hit and, and you know, just the feel he, for the pocket overall too. Oh, it, oh, it was, yeah. it was yeah. absent. It was gone for a fifth year player like that. I mean, I don't understand how he just, when you are stepping the sacks, that's what, Oh man. Oh, oh no. Yeah. I know you as an offensive line. I mean, that had to step right into it. That and the the fact that if you are scrambling to your blind side, basically, like with your back turned to the rush, mm. and you have been scrambling for six seconds, my man, they are coming. You yeah, know, the game they are behind you. <laughs> get rid of the ball. Like that was; those were the things that killed me the most. Yeah. And it happened against Pitt. You know, and he had a fumble against Kentucky. And to your point, Vince, what killed me, one of the things where I was like, why why are you doing this with, with Jeff this year was right after he had that fumble on the sideline against Kentucky. And he put the ball right back in Jack's hand and, and called that weird-ass QB sweep, you know, like the next play. Yeah. And then had him throw the ball, like right after that. And he looked awful. He just the, – the mechanics were gone again. Like we've said before, he, he'd he under pressure. All of a sudden, he, he'd forget how to throw the football. And it's like I've seen you throw the ball competently and, like, step into your throw, do everything you're supposed to do and make these throws. And then when the pressure was turned up, he couldn't make the simplest throws. And I thought it was weird that Jeff put the ball right back in his hands instead of trying to run the ball and get some, get some, some yardage that way and sort of calm him down to what – then said earlier like it 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 was weird like the way i said it earlier is that i feel like because jeff was a very good quarterback and his brother was an elite quarterback in college they expect their quarterbacks to do everything that they could do 
that's what it feels like to me. You know what I'm saying? Like, that's what it feels like to me. Like having Lamar Jackson as a quarterback coach. <laughs> exactly. Oh, it's like, why wouldn't you just run? You know, like, like, because nobody can do what you did. But I think that he expects that they would want to do it and that they can do it, you know, and, and that's not always the case. Like we had limitations with Jack Plummer this year. He was good enough most of the year. And that's what I, 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 I beat back people on that a lot. Like he was good enough. And we clearly didn't have a better option or we would have, we would have gone with it, you know? Yeah. That's what bothered but he me was never the quarterback that was going to maximize this offense, you people, know? And people not realizing that there, if Jeff had a better option, yeah, he, he's not a dumb guy. He's going to put him out there. He's going to play the best 11 where, whether it's a high school senior or, or it's an eighth year senior in college, like it doesn't matter. The best 11 is going to play. That's right. The weirdest part I, about this, like the one, the one thing that, that kind of drove me crazy about the selection of of Jack Plummer's quarterback in theory was all right, a steady hand, you know, to who knew the offense and would be an easy transition. And the the biggest complaint we had about him was the the turnovers and the mistakes. And it's like this is what we, this is why we have you, is so you don't do this. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. if we're going to get these turnovers in these in these big spots, why don't we just roll our dice with one of the young bucks? <laughs> if they're going to make those type of mistakes right. too, but they'll probably make the other plays or they have a chance to. It's funny because heading into the season, this is in my mind how I thought the offense was going to operate. You've got Jack Plummer, who is kind of like the field general type. He isn't a very like physically toolsy kind of guy, but he's got the ex- the experience, the reps. He's not going to like go out and make the winning plays, but he's not going to make the losing plays. It's going to right. be an offense predicated on the offensive skill positions, just getting to the guys in space, putting the ball, um, putting the ball in windows to where where they can only get them, and just basically utilize speed, physicality, and the scheme to you know advance the ball. When it comes to the off, what, what actually happened was that. Not only with the, with the offensive skill position in the running back room, they held up their their end of the bargain. And but what actually happened with the past game was that not only did Jack not make very many winning plays. I mean, he made some, but he he made he made more losing plays yeah. than he did winning plays. No, and no. then with the skill position players, with, when I say that, I'm really mean the wide receivers. When you have a guy like Jack, and you have Basically, you need them to kind of do a lot of the leg work and get open. They didn't do that. So it was kind of the worst of both worlds and not the best of both worlds in that regard. I'm curious as to, like, what the receivers' mindsets were out there and, you know, knowing, like, okay, this is Jack's this is Jack's best ball, right? Or he throws this, this route perfect to me in practice 24-7. All I have to do is win right here. I wonder how much uh, how much of that was going through the receivers' heads at times because I mean we've talked about them getting bodied a lot and we've talked about the physicality and not nobody stepping up and the drops and everything like I, I'm just it was off a lot of times. I want to know how much they did in the off season. How much I mean because a lot of that's just getting a feel for everything, having the confidence that Kevin Coleman can go out there and make the same play that Jamari Thrash can make or something at least similar to that. No doubt, no doubt. I mean. When you look at, at what they were, like you said, you, you should have had an offense that was safe, that managed the ball well, 
um, that was able to kind of play within themselves and know what they were. And at times uh, at the quarterback position, it it was just a, a true lack of self-awareness of what the, what your role in the offense is. And also, you know, like the USC game and, and even FSU to an extent, it's just looking unprepared as a six year no. guy, right? Like if you're, if you're a six year guy, like I'm starting to see this more and more as the portal happens. Like if you're still playing college football in your sixth and seventh year, there's a reason for the most part that you're still playing college football in your sixth or seventh year. Like one, you probably don't want to go get a job Two, you, you feel like you've got that one thing left to prove that everyone's always like, man, just give it up. Like we all know that's not you. Right. Um, and this season, you saw these things that, like, a, a six-year quarterback, that shouldn't happen with. And you, you better hope that this soundbite doesn't come back to bite you for this upcoming season. <laughs> I mean, you're you're right, though. That you're exactly right. And I hope that well, we I can am. explain away Chuck with the injuries. All right, at least at I this know, point. I know. Okay. At, at this point, Matt. At this <laughs> point, <laughs> until he throws four interceptions against SMU, and we're all yelling at Yeah, yeah. I mean, look, man, you got Cam McCormick in Miami turning into Van Wilder at this situation. Dude. <laughs> it's like, incredible, just, bro. Geez, bro hey, y'all are crazy. If I if I'm Caleb Williams, I'm 100 percent coming back to USC for another year. He lives in a penthouse. Yes. Yes, in downtown man. LA, it's what different. are you doing? It's different. That's not Cardinal Town having to take the yeah, show class every crazy. morning, man. Like it was back. Yeah, it's I want to uh, live in Cardinal Town for an extra year if you paid me and you're like, come on now. Eat a Mount Fuji. Whatever. But yeah, to your point, right. Jacob, like Joe Burrow had I know it's Joe Burrow for number one pick overall, and he put up the going zero to Burrow. Yes, but everybody <laughs> thinks like that, but the quarterback should have his mindset. Joe took like Whatever, some rinky dink online classes. He probably took walking online and <laughs> I mean yes. sat in the film room 24-7, probably sat in offensive meetings, probably sat there with his quarterback and wide receiver coach as they're drawing up routes and things for practice, yeah. scouting, scouting DBs 24-7. I mean, at that point, you're for your fifth, sixth year, you are treating it as a professional athlete, in my opinion. Yeah. You are you're pro. majoring in football at that exactly. point. Exactly. You know? yeah. That's where you, you you have two years left. And if you haven't made a name for yourself yet, you got to change something. And that's really where you can change. That's all true. That is very true. But unfortunately, there is a saying that says that 90% of college athletes will go pro in something that's not sports. And for Jack, that's the case, right? And this season was supposed to delay that for one more year for him to. You know, and he look at it, the guy's playing in like the East West Shrine game. That's not something to like, that's a big deal for a quarterback, right? Only so many sure. quarterbacks get selected to go to these pre draft games. It's not as if this guy was like a D3 quarterback at center, right? I mean, this is a guy who showed in moments like the Miami game, the Boston College game, the Notre Dame game. He played very much within himself that he could do this. But for where Louisville came up short, which is the Pittsburgh game. And as you alluded to, uh, Biscuit, that that was uh, ultimately some of that was on Jeff, man. I, I, it's like you're the guy chasing. A lot of it was on Jeff, and I think you'd agree with that. Yeah, yeah, he it's the guy chasing that one, like one more parlay for a dollar for fifty five thousand. Like just, just I need one hit. more, man. I just this next one's gonna hit. That's the game. That's, right. like, that, that's what those final ten passes were the, to get them to fifty two, and then that's what it was again late down the season with Kentucky and Florida State and USC ultimately. Um, and one last thing I want to touch on here. Um, let's talk about the big boys a little bit. Bit. the the offensive line and tight ends what kind of collective yeah. rope them in because they the the offensive line and tight end room was essentially the same room this year like the tight ends didn't really <laughs> catch the ball uh they were the off they were this you know the the sixth and seventh offensive linemen in most cases um and you know matt's got some data that we're going to dive into it was a rough go but one, one thing i just I, I can't seem to understand still to this moment 
Um, well, I guess I, I shouldn't say I can't understand because they they needed a tight end, right? Payne Durham, Bryson Hopkins at Purdue were special. They gave um, the quarterbacks there, you know, Aiden O'Connell um, and, and uh, goodness gracious, David Slough. Uh, th- they gave these guys like some really good weapons to throw the football to in addition to the Rondell Moores and the Milton Wrights and the weapons that the Greg Bells that they had, right? They didn't have that this year. Jack didn't have a guy that he could count on to run a four, five, six, seven yard route and just move the sticks outside of Jamari Thrash, right? And we saw occasionally Chris Bell had a couple of really nice slant routes um, yeah. for touchdowns. And we saw some yeah. nice comeback curls every once in a while that these, these receivers would run. I mean, you had that beautiful catch on the sideline that Jimmy Calloway caught against, I can't remember who it was, maybe Virginia, Miami, one of those games. Uh, and then ultimately the next possession, he fumbled the ball, if you remember. That was like the, mm-hmm. oh, anyways, yeah. my point being, there was no tight end development. Nate Kariski sort of stepped into this role and they tried, but it just didn't really um, come out to much. But Joey Gatewood was always the one that was just so intriguing. And why is he not involved more? Because when he was out there, you're like, man, this dude is talented. And now exactly. He might, yeah. He might yeah. have a better NFL career than he had college career. I mean, that happens occasionally for guys with, if, if they kind of develop that one trait and can stick along in the NFL. But I just, what do you guys think on the tight end? Like, do you think in an ideal world and Matt, we've talked about this a lot and Vince as well, but, but biscuit, if I give you even uh, Charles Stanberry, if I give you, uh, I'm trying to throw some just, you know, middle of the the road died, like tight ends that played very well, not the Cole Hickettinis hey, of the world. Charles Stanberry is right. 600 and, yards in this and offense. All reliable. That's my point. Right. But does that change things for Jack? Does Jack, for does sure. he settle in if he oh, has yeah. that and, one and more that, weapon? Like, I think, yeah. I think some of it, I'm sure y'all have a different opinion about this, but I think I'm putting again, a little bit of this on Jeff. There are ways to get these tight ends. I mean, Scott Satterfield was the king of it, getting these tight ends the balls with, you know, three, four yard space, uh, you know, maybe right on the line of scrimmage to where we could get a first down just to get a couple yards to keep the chains moving and stuff. And that's where I kind of feel Jeff underutilized the tight ends. Outside of that, I mean, they couldn't, they were no downfield threat at all. Gatewood could be a little bit, but we didn't, didn't see it consistently enough. What I really wanted out of him was that freaking fake pass or whatever. I wanted to Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah the tight end pass, oh, man. Oh, God, yes. Yeah, what a moment what that would have been. Like that we would have been the jump that. pass, like we were talking before the show, Biscuit, were the two plays for me where I'm mm-hmm. like, oh, Jeff, missed opportunity on that one. It felt like it. Like, it was it was right there. You know, with the tight end room, like, that was one of the things I loved the most about the Braum offense is his utilization of the tight ends. You know, and it was something I missed dearly. I remember the first game we played against him. It's first game at Purdue, you know, when we played him in Indianapolis. Mm-hmm. And it was one, it was the first drive. You know, all the all the motion, all the routes were going to the right, and the tight end just dragged across everybody on the backside, that little tight end drag route yeah. just wide open against right the, under the linebackers and, come and out, I just yeah. pa- I just mm-hmm. passed it. You know, because that's it's beautiful football. You know, and I and it's my it was one of my favorite routes. And I can't tell you if we even ran it this year. You know, I guess we just didn't I don't think we, I don't think we did. At I don't all. remember it because I know I would have like, I know yeah, exactly. it would have been, yeah. you know, the 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 Leonardo DiCaprio meme just pointing <laughs> you know, at the screen like, as soon as it went. Just, <laughs> oh, what, what, like what, I never what? got the chance to. And I'm down in three. Sorry, that's me. It's just chasing it. <laughs> My bad. <laughs> Hold on a second. 
like taking like, find like, a golf lesson in the middle of the show. <laughs> it's not. It's now football. follow through with your knees bent. It's football. That is not PG. It's football. <laughs> Football. It was football yeah. from my laptop. I'm sorry. Okay. Yeah, your laptop that can't get you into the show. That's right. There you go. It, 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 that, it, what do you think just happened? It took literally 25 minutes for that to load, and it just started playing <laughs> oh, audio gosh. in the middle of our show. So it all it lines up with my story. I promise. I, I'm here but for you know, it. Like, we, I think we're all looking at you know like Jamar Johnson is somebody that we were all really excited about, and I wasn't sure what kind of impact he was going to make his freshman year. I don't know if he was in playing shape. That they wanted him to be in this year. Well, I think I think what we saw with him, you saw at the USC game. I think he didn't know the place. I just think he didn't yeah. know where to go, where to line up. And I mean, you you're not going to play much if you don't know that stuff, which isn't common from a freshman. I didn't know two sure. plays in Petrino's playbook my freshman year. So right, it's not, not it's not, not like you said. That. that doesn't surprise me that much, you know. And and Mark's convinced that. He's a, a an offensive tackle in his future. I keep telling him to shut up. Like he's gonna, <laughs> he's he's too talented of a receiver. You know, he's, he's gonna be a tight end. So quick if that happens, I know, right? That's what I'm <laughs> saying. <laughs> but he's got an entire offense to learn that playbook. You know, he's got an entire off season to to get in better shape. You know, he's got tree trunk legs. The the kid is a freak athlete and a giant, and I'm expecting him to still have an impact down the road. But obviously. Brom and company highlighted a, a need at that position and went after it this offseason, the transfer portal. They got a lot of dudes, man. A lot of dudes they are going to do a lot of different things. Like they could run five different, they could put a whole like receiving core of a play out with tight ends this year. And I would be like, oh, okay, you got <laughs> Isaiah Cummings, you got Mark Redman, you know, you got Jamari, you got Jaleel Skinner, like. They got the the H-backs. They got everything they kind of need in that room. And it's going to be exciting to see for Tyler Shuck, again, a seventh-year quarterback who has things to prove, who is going to be labeled as a game manager and a guy that's just there to take care of the football, help you win games by not doing bad things, right? That's what he's going to be in an offense like this. You can, I... dis you can disagree, but when you bring in the weapons that you are giving him at this point, you're saying – I trust that you are a really, really solid quarterback, and I think that you are good for this offense, but we are not necessarily going to lean on you to go out and do the unexpected to win us football games. We just need you to deliver the ball, manage it, and take care of it, and we're going to be fine. I just, I, 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 when I hear you say that Chuck is a game manager, like when I, when I watch the film on him, like he's he's took, got some talent, man. He's electric as a thrower. Oh, yeah. It, it only took me like a few plays into his highlight reel, and I'm like, this this guy's got the tools that Jack Plummer just simply didn't. Like this, like when I use like he's not going to win you games, but he's not going to lose you games. Like that's that's not Shuck. Like he's got playmaking ability, whether that be with his arms and legs. Now, can he be a little bit erratic with his decision making? A little bit, but I mean, yeah, this yeah, he he's <laughs> when he's healthy and when he's at his 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 peak and his potential, he's got NFL talent. But the thing is, like, I'm okay with erratic or, or you know, makes a mistake every once in a while if he can make the spectacular play. And that's what we didn't exactly get with Jack, where it was like most of the time he was a game manager, but then he gave us, like, the downside of, of a, you know, like an electric kind of a playmaker slash risk taker mm -hmm. without much of the positives. Like, you're turning the ball it's over a, too damn much, man. That's not your role. <laughs> It's like getting the Aaron Rodgers headlines without the Aaron Rodgers play. 
Yeah. That's <laughs> another <laughs> low blow. I feel like um, <laughs> taking this one a little. Like, why am I? You're just, you're just down there pummeling my coin purse right now. I don't really <laughs> like it. <huh? laughs> let's, let's, let's I didn't have a hard uh, now, now, Jacob, we can't <laughs> talk offense and go to the next segment without bringing up the fullbacks, and you know that. That's, there he is. That's fair. And you saw you saw one thing you couldn't say about this team is that they couldn't run block. Like they were all about like, just let's maul some guys. Like let's just collectively pancake everyone in front of us from Dwayne Martin to, to Brian Hudson to, you know, even Austin Collins, Willie Tyler. I think Renato. Had the, yeah. Renato before the injury. Um, yeah. But I do think mm-hmm. that to Vince's point, like, you know, I know Marshawn played that H back role. We've seen Isaac back there, you know, for the last 12 years. Um, <laughs> But I felt like this year, <laughs> Dwayne Martin's physicality stood out in a lot of ways that I don't think the average football fan really was looking for nor really cared about, to be honest with you. I mean, don't get me wrong. I think if you see a big block on a run play and a replay, you're like, man, that's awesome. But, you know, it's these these big plays on third and one, third and two, where, where he is just putting it all on the line and running through somebody to to create some holes for Jawar and um, – for Isaac Gariendo. And, you know, I think it's just, uh, it's a different dynamic when you have a guy who is not afraid to hit somebody and thrives in that. And that's what the, that's what Dwayne Martin was. It's this definitely year. not fun having a full head of steam going to hit a linebacker like that, especially, you know, when you're in a run to win situation, the linebackers up on its toes and you know, you're about to have that head on collision, your head's going to be ringing and stuff. So, I mean, kudos to Dwayne for doing all the dirty work all year and doing God. the dirty work next year. He's the only fullback we got left. Might be like I, one I just, or four in the country. Yeah, I, I just it. thought about this. I just thought about this because Jacob mentioned Marshawn. Like, can you imagine what the ceiling of this team would have been had Marshawn come back? Because he had a year of eligibility. Yeah, I mean, I think that I think that did? that's maybe and, yeah, and he did. speaking speaking to uh, Vince's point with what Satterfield did well with the tight ends. Like, I feel like that's the type of role that H back. Uh, kind of combo tight end running back up back uh, slot receiver almost that can split out that way that Isaiah Cummings can be next year. You know, yeah. like that's what I'm looking at him is that that second tight end slash H back that can play so many different roles. And I think that there had to be a compelling reason other than NIL that he came back to, to the city of Louisville from Kentucky. And I think it's probably the way that it, they were selling him on how they could use him in this offense, you know, yeah, and, and no doubt, man. I mean, look at what I know he didn't have great numbers, but when he did touch the ball for the most part at Kentucky, it was explosive plays. You know, it was yeah. we obviously saw that firsthand in that game this year. Yeah. Um, so and if what, you, you what add I, that, what I have to see is with him is putting a hand in the dirt. I know he can do yeah. the cutesy stuff, running routes and everything, but put your hand in the all dirt. That, yeah, all that cutesy shit. All yeah. that other <laughs> I need to see this man run somebody over, you know, on a third and one eye formation. He's, he's clip well, I believe put it. it in his locker. Well, a neck roll. You know, but again, here's the thing, though, about the, the way that they've built this team through the portal, right, is he's not going to really have to worry about that. I mean, you you obviously, yeah. if there's injuries and you get a guy out there who has to well, play. Well, tendency-wise, that's more what I was thinking, Jake. Sure. Defense, you're going to see that in – Oh, we'll call him number 88. Oh, number 88's out there, and, and you know, he's the number three receiver. He's definitely yeah. running around. They're 90% right. pass right here, 10% run. Right. So right. he's going to have to – it's the Ian Pfeiffer thing. Like, you know, we, we're not – you know, you knew what was coming with that. Right, exactly. And and Jaleel Skinner, you know, he's the guy who can probably play in that H-back role and catch the ball out of the backfield, like really kind of evolve that – 
and give just another weapon, you know, whether you're playing in the pistol, whether you're playing with two backs back there. I mean, whatever it is, man, it really offers you a lot of flexibility. Matt, I want to dive into some of these these position statistics, but that's because I think they really do kind well, of. We help. barely talked about offensive line, Jacob. You're I know. Well, that, well, hold on, hold on. You would be remiss to know. I'm going to start there because I think that okay. that's that's a that's a great way to kind of tr- transition and talk about. I just them. want to talk about my big beefy boys just for a few minutes. That's all. You know, this offensive line and just their ability to hit people and play like big boys are leading the charge. And <laughs> Brian Hudson this year, like. Savage, savage, special. Like it's just things like that on a football team that he's never going to be talked about as one of the you know greatest players from this team. But my God, his impact was. Hey, felt. you you see a dude like that battling injuries as a teammate? That is a dude you oh, will yeah. follow into any trench, through any fire, any day of the week, and you'll help push him through the door or through whatever. I mean, like you can't say enough positive things about Brian Hudson. Oh, you can't. And if you're around me, he's the first player I talk about on this team. <laughs> I mean, he's, he's my favorite player on this team. He's been my favorite player for two years, you know, to watch. He's an animal in there, and he's the, he's the linchpin of this offensive line. He is the biggest shoes we have to fill next year. And I think Pete Nigra has the uh, potential to do a really good job there. I think that was a, that was a solid find in the transfer yeah. portal. But he is really an irreplaceable type player he belongs in the pantheon of great louisville centers that we've had over the last 25 years with eric wood and mario benavides and will rabbitine and you know so on yeah and i mean look when you talk about we never really got like the full like a uh, picture of what injuries he was battling it was always right. just like he's battling an arm or an extremity or Whatever the case we is cut it and, off that's the thing man cut like, it off he's good Ben talked about it during the season. Like that's what it would. T- he would play through like missing his leg. It, I mean, there was no way you were going to get that guy off the field. But um, as far as the offensive line goes, thankfully there wasn't much need to get guys off of the field in terms of injuries. I mean, I know you lost Renato in the Pittsburgh game, and I, I stand by my take that I think that that losing him the way that they did in pregame shook that team so much. The way they moved on that field, the way that everything took place after that moment was just like this is not the same team I've watched all year long from a speed and aggressive standpoint, but the offensive line really played six, seven guys. Um, I think that had Lance Robinson been eligible, they would have played, they would have played more. I'm not exactly sure what the deal is with that, with him being able to play in the bowl game. But I, I think that this, this offensive line was really second solid transfer rule that they were relitigating in December. And that's why he was able to play. Interesting. That's what, that's okay. what I, that's basically what I was told. Uh, that he was ineligible because technically it was a second transfer, you know, and, and mm-hmm. so many other people have transferred twice and haven't right. been able to see like the, the, the whole, Eight it's so out. muddled at this point. Right. But um, apparently, you know how they, the, the lawsuits went through, they were relitigating it in December and that yeah. transfer portal was essentially just open. Uh, that's why he was eligible to play in the bowl game for what I understand. He looked so. nice, man. It looked nice. And, Either that or the semester was over. Who knows? <laughs> Just like, what are they going to do? Just fuck it. Get out there, man. We'll see what happens on basketball. Uh, That's right. But the, the offensive line, for the most part, was they were really, really solid. From Willie Tyler to the growth and a full-time starter of Michael Gonzalez, who was you know one of the most versatile offensive linemen that Louisville's had in a while. Just from his freshman sophomore. He's played like every position on the line at this point. And then you have... Austin Collins, who really steps into a full-time role for the first time in his career. And then Eric Miller, who comes over as kind of that steady force from Purdue to to help. Um, Matt, talk us through the data here because it's 
like it seems like the offensive line was good and that they were they played well enough to to control the line of scrimmage and help Louisville's offense have control of the game. But what does the data say in terms of what they what they were overall? So in, in terms of you know pass blocking, it kind of confirms what we all really thought. Like that they gave Plummer more often than not, like plenty of time in the pocket that they were mauling people up front at the point of attack. Like when you among the six main offensive linemen, which were Willie Tyler, Gonzalez, Brian, uh, Renato, and Austin, kind of switching in and out. Well, not switching in and out, kind of splitting reps at right guard after Renato got hurt, and then Eric at right tackle. These were the pass block grades across the across the board: sixty nine point three, seventy five point seven, sixty yeah, seventy six point nine, seventy one point five, and seventy one point eight. Now. I've said it multiple times on the podcast, and I'm going to say it again. 60 is average. So when you have multiple grades of 70-plus when pass block, pass blocking, that's pretty good. The odd thing with this offensive line was that despite how well the running backs had done this season, analytically speaking, the run blocking was kind of eh. Because then when you look at that main offensive line platoon there the run block grades were 54 and a half and then you've got 67.3 and 69.2 from gonzalez and hudson but then you've got 53.3 and then 56.2 so interesting the run blocking was kind of average to slightly below average for, for three of the five spots on the offensive line and, and the only the only two spots that were average to above average were Michael Gonzalez and Brian Hudson. How do you explain that? I, I'm a little surprised by how low Renato and Willie were overall, just because I thought in the grand scheme overall, they were probably our second and third best offensive lineman on the year until right. Renato got hurt. You know, uh, yeah. that right side was very strong, but it, it's a, uh, I do think to, to go back to what I talked about earlier, man, Jawar could turn a, one or two yard run into a 10 yard run into a six yard run into a 20, you know, like it was, he didn't need much. And when we lost him in the second half of the year, I think it was demonstrable. Like you could see it at times where those, those, those runs that were going for five, six yards were going for, for less, but we also, you can sometimes on those dives on interior runs, Sometimes you can hide a bad left tackle. I mean, honestly, Vince could tell you, like, mm-hmm. if you're hitting that line of scrimmage, you're hitting the hole quick. Yep. You can you can you can hide a, a poor a poor blocking outside lineman uh, when your center and your guard can block like that. You know, if they're if they're opening a big hole in the middle, you got to hit the line of scrimmage before the devil knows you're dead. You know what I mean? Yeah. So like, that's basically that 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 can happen. Um, or if you're like say you're hiding the left side, running to the right. You know the backside just got to get across his his man's face. You know, and 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 basically not fuck it up. You know, for the for hey, the rest of us. Like you're talking to a guy that ran outside zone behind Makai Beckton. Yep, probably eighty percent of the time. <laughs> Florida State game, Makai's over here waving to me like, "Keep calling it, keep signaling it." And I'm like, right. I can't "Call my own plays. I can't do yeah. it." Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Listen to him. Trust me, I would. That's <laughs> okay, so to kind of continue this conversation, right? So we we're starting to see a trend here in terms of what this offensive line is, what this team is. Matt, let's talk tight end now and kind of 
start to widen this this lens out a little bit. We don't need to run through each one of these respectively, but you have kind of the grades on what each of the tight ends were from an offensive standpoint, reception standpoint, run block and pass block. And you see the numbers that show that none of these guys grade out well. Like you have five, you have five tight ends, but yeah. none of them grade yeah, out. Yeah, no. Really. When when looking at PFF stats for um, for the four, like I guess main tight ends that Louisville had at their disposal: Josh Lipson, Nate Kriski, Joey Gatewood, and Jamari Johnson. Um, I looked at the splits between their overall offensive grade, their receiving grade, their run blocking grade, and their pass block grade. The only one that's missing here is Jamar Johnson's receiving grade because, you know, can't get a receiving grade. You got to have a catch. Pass. You got to yeah. catch something. Yeah. So out of the 15 individual grades here, 11 are below 60, which is average, and 7 are below 50, hmm. which is not good. No. In, in fact, Josh Lifson, I don't want to pile on him, but all four of his grades are below 50. You played a lot of snaps, Two are too. below 40. Yeah, and played a lot of snaps, but again, he, did, he played point. a ton of snaps. He really did. <laughs> yeah, he would have had he would have had a much nicer of a receiving stat line had Jack not thrown that one ball at his feet. I don't I remember what yeah. game that was, but that but was forever. I mean, like, for commanding a lot of the snaps as he did, he wasn't that great of a blocker. I mean, I can think of a couple plays off the top of my head, especially in the the Holiday Bowl against you against USC. I can't remember at what juncture of the of the game this was, but there was a play where it was just a simple edge rusher coming off the edge and Lipson thought he was having to take a double team and he turned to his, his right and there's no one there because he thought there was someone coming, but it was literally just a one-on-one situation. Can I tell you all, this is the damnedest thing. I know I watched every play of the holiday bowl, every play, and I have the hardest time remembering that game. <laughs> yeah. yeah what man. does that tell you about it like i don't yeah. know yeah yeah <laughs> it's that's why weird. yeah it's, it's so a glorified weird. it's a glorified i forget what I, like preseason game i think is what i call scrimmage it. if i'm not mistaken extreme preseason yeah. game yeah. Yeah, it's a, yeah it's a pre you're playing with next year's roster essentially in most of these yeah. bowl games it's just asinine but um it, it you know i think it's really interesting again as you're looking to kind of tell the story limited in terms of that position and that position is uh, you know, a crutch to Jeff Brom and how he utilizes his wide receiver one through three in addition to his tight end in the passing game. And I think that with Redmond, with Kariski developing into his, you know, kind of more comfortable in the role, Jamari Johnson hopefully taking a step. Again, we mentioned Isaiah Cummings, Jaleel Skinner. Um, this room should be much better from a pass block, run block, pass catch offensive standpoint, which will ultimately help the rest of this team. And so, Matt, again, widen this thing out. Like, let's bring in the wide receivers here. And you talk about now you have an offensive line that can pass block, but you don't really have any tight ends that you could throw the ball to. So now you're really relying on your wide receivers to carry your offense um, from a, a passing standpoint, especially from a big play standpoint. We know Jamari Thrash was really, really, really solid, but what else? Was there anything else that kind of stood out good, bad, ugly? Like, what what was it? I mean, if anything, when kind of look, diving through the numbers with the receiving core, it just only further cemented how much further above that, you know, Thrash was with the remainder of the receiving core, just because Thrash was the only Louisville wide receiver with a receiving grade above 65. He was the only one. Yeah. And then kind of diving into some more stats for the season, he forced 17 missed tackles and had 41 first downs. 
the rest of the wide receiver room combined forced 19 missed tackles and had 60 first downs. That's terrible. And honestly, one of the more surprising stats that I found and makes me kind of optimistic for how this guy can develop for next season is that the receiver with the most contested catches on the team was not Jamari Thrash. It was Chris Bell. He had 10, yeah. and no other wide receiver on the team had more than three. Mm-hmm. That doesn't so. surprise me too much, honestly. Like, as what we were talking about earlier, he's the most physical receiver on the team. Um, and we expect him to get those contested balls. What we need to work on is him getting separation, you know, so he doesn't have so many damn contested balls. But uh, part of that was the quarterback as well. As Vince yeah. said earlier, he really wasn't adept at throwing anybody open very, yeah. very often. So. Yeah, I I really enjoyed the Chris Bell slants. Like, I think there was like four or five of those. You enjoy slants, period. But look, man, when you got a guy who's that big and that strong and that fast and can hit him in the gut, what are you going to do? I can run that play 14 times in a row and move down the field and score. Like, because eventually. Probably not. You'll probably get a linebacker. Well, they're going to eventually move the undercover. I'm sure you could do like a slant and go a little sluggo action off of a Jacob and it'd be just as pretty. But you get my point. I mean, it was a nice addition to the offense this year. You yeah. said you saying I would run fourteen slants down the just made me think of the several times that Jack just did not identify the uh, under coverage that was staring yeah. him in the face. Or, like, not or even under coverage. Like blitzer. The blitzers hot Ever? off the edge would bother me. Oh my god. And I mean the a lot of those are plays where the I mean he could hit the wide receivers to I mean yeah. quick stuff, just stuff where you can identify pre snap. Hot route. Number yeah, wise, just, just count it. Just count it out. They're probably going to send somebody over here. It's uh, the one that at the ACC championship game, obviously the infamous interception in the end zone. Did anybody not think he was throwing the ball right there? Like I was right. lost. <laughs> I was watching. I looked in the middle and went, there are three Florida State defenders. There are two linebackers underneath that route, and he is going to throw it right at it. Yeah, and he did. And I just he should have hit the running back coming underneath of it. That was that's what freaking. I mean, yeah, I know. Yeah, you had the same play against NC State. Uh, I think it was in the second or third quarter, and he's got a wide receiver, uh, you know, heading to the back pylon, and he's got a perfect fade, and Mm -hmm. he can just lob up there. And he throws the ball like four yards short. (laughs) It's just a a horrible throw. It's Um, so confusing. There was like, it looked like he, he was a robot that like short circuited, you know, like on those throws where he was just like, somebody took over his body through it. And he just looked (laughs) like, he looked surprised at what he just did. You know, like that's, yeah. I just, he had three or four of those egregious picks this year. We're like, well, why? Like what, what world was that going to work? I don't know. It's, I love that this just keeps going back to Jack Plummer. Well, let's talk about – let's we'll come back to – we'll finish this with the running backs because that's like the fun the fun part. Like let's yeah, talk right. about Jack's the, – the, the data around Jack. And I think that when Matt runs through this, it's going to – everything right here is going to – it's going to – like I hate to do this to Jack because he, he by all accounts, great guy, really solid football player, mentally it's sharp good enough guy. most of the year. You know, yes. Mostly you're and good s- enough. But yeah. Had some things break, unfortunately, that didn't go his way in terms of injuries and just guys that he needed to be good, right? Yeah, but but and this- worst in the biggest spots. Like, that's the problem, is that is that it, yeah. he made the mistakes in the biggest spots that people are always going to remember, you know? Right, right, exactly, right. So, Matt, let's, let's talk about this because, like, again, like- keep in mind, the tight end, like, if you have the tight end in some of this, you have another wide receiver. This, this data would would not 
they wouldn't be that. Right? You know what? I feel, I feel like I'm about to, I'm in class right now and I'm about to get my test score back that I did not study for. <laughs> and I know it's going to be, a, I'm like, oh man, this is going to be terrible. So Matt, what, what was it? Because there's something there. It just didn't click. Looking at some of the splits on the throw, the actual throws themselves. I, I, I knew that, Plumber didn't throw a ton of deep balls or like what did really throw a great deep ball, to be honest with you. I didn't realize that nearly two thirds of his passes were thrown nine yards or shorter or behind the line of scrimmage. 60.5% of Plumber's throws were nine yards or shorter and like 43% of them. So pretty close to half were thrown in that window between the actual line of scrimmage and, like, nine yards out. So he didn't really utilize the intermediate area. He just, like you said earlier, Vince, he loved those those short rounds, like those those five-yard outs, oh, yeah. like slants, things Quick like stuff that. you don't have to read. Yeah, exactly. And which was odd that they, he didn't kind of go further or at least, you know, maybe try and look that way. Because looking at P, uh, PFF, his top graded throws were actually medium and deep balls, surprisingly. So that really surprised me. When looking at deep balls, which you know are twenty yards or or farther thrown through the air, he only went twenty one of sixty three, which is thirty three percent. But he threw for seven hundred eighty seven yards, seven touchdowns, and six interceptions, and somehow that came out to a ninety point five grade, wow. which is phenomenal. And then in he the passed. intermediate, yeah, in the me- intermediate part of the field, which like the space between 10 and 19 yards out, he went 38 for 62, which is 61.3%. Not bad for 577 yards, five touchdowns, and three picks. That came out to a 90.4 grade, which also is phenomenal. And then when you get to the short area of the field, zero to nine yards, 132 for 172, which is 76.7% for 1,352 yards, seven touchdowns, and three interceptions. But that only worked out to a 65.7 grade. Okay. And then this, when, go, ahead, go, go ahead. Go ahead. No, go ahead. Go ahead. This is where I was. This is what I think about. Like, this is where I feel like I need to see the coach's grade. You yeah. know, like I feel like yeah. PSN um, is, you know, JJ Watt said it the other day on uh, McAfee's show. Like, you can put the PFF score and the coaches' scores grades right next to each other, and they can be completely off sometimes. I mean, a lot of times PFF is correct and they're and they're on their yeah. game. But oh yeah, I, you yeah, know, like with stuff like this, the... the coach's grade tells a broader story yeah. of yeah. This what is all one is of the... going on in the game. Yeah, this is one of the few moments where, and, and I love PFF. Like, oh, dude, I, I do too. I've they might got a hell of a lot easier in college, I yeah. promise you. Yeah, this is one of the few instances where I'm, where I look at this and I look and see that there's like a 90 grade on Jack Plummer deep throws, and I go, the math ain't math in here. Right, right, because you wonder, <laughs> we like. Saw, we saw his deep throws, and they were. Uh, I'm going to use that ac- one in an Excel spreadsheet. It doesn't account for a lot of things, it, you know, garbage time. It doesn't account for late in halves or whatever the case is. Like there's just different nuances to that that I think. Um, but this this short grade, like first of all, the deep, medium, short, there's no real difference in turnovers. He turned the ball over in all three. Like he threw six interceptions deep. 
not shocking there. What's shocking to me is the, the zero to nine yards we threw three picks. Like that's a that's pretty hard to do. Um, I remember all three. So <laughs> yeah, right. Exactly. The one the one rolling out to his right. I can't remember who it was against. It was that one was the most painful where he just threw it straight to the front. We talked about it last show. Yeah, but it was it, there was just that stuff that really kind of. Unfortunately, you know, and, you know, we talked again a little bit about this, Matt, and I don't know if you just gave this behind the line of scrimmage grade, and we don't really need to dive into this because there wasn't a whole lot there, but it was a missed opportunity. You could have used more of that screen passes to Jamari, screen passes to Jawar, screen passes to Joey Gatewood. I mean, just stuff like that that you could have. routes. The pick routes, stuff like that, running guys into each other, you know, with your slant routes, Jacob, you can run something right off off that. And, I mean, you have two options right there, the slant or the out now. Yeah, Madden wants you to run those three slants like 90% of the time if you give them the ability to run your place for you. I, I'm like, and that makes sense to me, but not to most people who actually know football. Uh, but Matt, let's talk last thing here, running backs. Um, this was the star of the show across oh, yeah. the board, in my opinion, outside of maybe like Ashton Jawadi. But like this was Louisville's like defining achievement. And it's really funny because this is not Jeff Brom at all. Like this is Scott Satterfield that you would expect this out of. Hmm. And yet Jeff... You know, it, it it almost is like Scott his first year. He did lean into throwing the ball more with Tutu and and Dez and them, and you know had they remember? Do you all remember that in twenty nineteen, Louisville had they were the number one team in the country for like sixty yard plays, seventy yard plays, ninety yard yep. plays, and it was, and it was just all like, Tutu. Yeah, right, exactly, yeah. right. But um, you know, with the running backs, that's kind of that. That's just what they were this year for Jeff, and uh, it, it was special, man. I, I felt like. The utilization was weird sometimes with guys going out for full quarters and four drives at a time, and then you would rotate when it didn't make sense. But overall, I thought that Jeff did a great job with Jawar and uh, and Isaac, and it looks like, Matt, that the numbers kind of bear that out. Treat this as kind of a trivia question, and Biscuit, I know you love your trivia. We both know that the one-two punch of Isaac and Jaws were phenomenal. So I went looking to see, like, how many other schools had, like, a comparable, you know, one-two punch at running back. So, and I ran the numbers and saw that Louisville was one of just two schools to have two running backs with offensive grades of 85 plus with at least 100 rushing attempts. Who was the other school? Two two running backs. To have two running backs with an offensive grade of 85 or more that had at least 100 rush attempts. Air Force. Nope, was done a service academy. That's <laughs> a good guess, though. Man. I'm pretty sure they went to the spread this year, too, didn't they? they? They are a Power 5 school. I'll, I'll give you that hint. With Louisville ties. Mm, how about that with for a Louisville hint? ties? With On Louisville the offensive ties. side. Oregon. Oregon. Yep. Jordan James and Bucky Irvin. They were both. uh, Jordan James was a 92 grade. Bucky had an 88.1. Isaac was 89.1. Jaws was 87.9. Those were the only two schools who had like a one two punch at running back of that caliber. Mm -hmm. That makes sense. Look, I, I said it. I said it early in the season before the year started that this was going to be his most talented running back room that he's ever had. Going back to Ace Wells at Western Kentucky. And it it showed. I, I was very confident with them being able to run the football this year with Jawar Jordan. And I what I didn't really know who Isaac was. I, Matt was talking about the whole offseason, if I remember correctly. Good on uh, Matt. Right. 
Yeah, Ooh. right. Matt, what doesn't Matt know? Right? These stats oh, aren't yeah. Matt knew these stats in the back of his head. He didn't have to go to a website for yeah. these. These are Matt stats. Yeah. Yeah. I don't, listen, I don't scout all these players all off season. I enough. need you to say I ran the numbers more on our show. Say <laughs> 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 I ran the numbers all. I, you know, I think you would you would uh, increase your audience by at least six percent if yeah. you ran the numbers more often. <laughs> right. I ran the numbers on that, and I just want to let you know. Six percent, Matt. That's a lot. See the dedication that we need for this show is that right there, man. See, but that's uh, that's the thing. Like, I, 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 when it comes to Brom, who obviously he's pass happy, he loves to throw the ball. He's always had the, he's fashioned his offenses to 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 fit that, you know. But you give him the tools, and I think he knew in his mind he wouldn't be able to to maybe in his deepest thoughts he maybe not wouldn't be able to lean on Plummer as much as he wanted to and he had the running backs and came into this year and used his personnel and had a balanced attack like that's what I loved about this season it's kind of what you asked about at the top of the show and I think with what he did in the transfer portal with Penny Boone he's not bringing him in to not hammer that ball at the line of scrimmage a little bit you know like it every the best offenses can do both you know, and, and and I think that that's what we're looking at going going forward, especially yeah. with the way he he's recruiting the the running back position. Like you can't sell them. Well, we give you the ball when we can. You know, right. <laughs> like you're gonna you're gonna be a big part of the <laughs> Yeah, Penny Boone ain't coming here to sit on the bench or block for a, for a Tyler Shuck. Yeah. And if you look at this this group off, you know, offensively at the running back spot, you know, it's interesting to kind of think about what what can they do next year. You obviously won't have Jaws and you won't have Isaac, but you'll lean more on Mo Turner and Penny Boone, obviously coming over as the Mac Player of the Year last year. And then you have um, Donald Cheney the second for Miami, who kind of dealt with injuries like Isaac did, and has that chance to kind of pop. But it is much more of a power run offense and. They're going to mix that in, I think, with some more RPO next year with Tyler Shuck because he is more of a runner, uh, more than Jack was. And they did run the ball a little bit with Jack this year and, and had some success. But, um, you know, I think Tyler Shuck's much more of an athlete and will kind of take that run game to the next level. So there's no end in sight for that. All right. And now we go into the last part of the show that everybody has been waiting for, the segment that they didn't know existed until just now. Meme the moment with our good friend Dave Skull, who is the – Meme generator of Louisville onlineness, I guess, right? I guess we could say that. Yeah, there you go. That'll work. So what we're going to do is we're going to run through some pivotal key moments in the Louisville football season from the offensive standpoint. We've got five memes of Dave that really are are like the the Fifty Shades <laughs> of Grey, right? They describe the full array of what this season was. <laughs> yeah, it gives you a picture if you need one. God, yeah. and Dick, like you could you can tease them that we'll bring the segment back next time and i've got like five or six more memes that i threw at him in the dm <laughs> he really did he just kept sending them to me Showed them my wife, and she's like who is this again um so yeah <laughs> who do you gonna, know I, i'm sure most of our audience has played the game what do you mean uh which is a great game by the way love it absolutely really good at it too not great in the real time of coming up with memes but if you give me prompts and you give me pictures or I'm going to be pretty good at matching these up. So that's what we're going to do tonight on Meme the Moment. So, Dave, we're going to specifically focus on the offense. We've got five memes here that are pretty popular that uh, I, I noticed uh, from you. And, and now, obviously, Louisville Twitter is stealing these. It's almost like they can go into their, their meme generators, into their, you know, in their phones and find these saved in the folder like I do. Uh, but we've got things ranging from you've got my attention, the fuck, I'm dead inside, 
that biscuit's got extra butra and chicken dinner, right? Okay. So we're, we're, we're tracking right here. These are the five memes. So let's start with really game one, right? This will really kind of set the bar of how you were feeling beginning of the season, getting rocking and rolling. Georgia Tech game didn't go the way we all expected it to, but Juar Jordan has this moment. It's right after this big Dez tail hit where he absolutely trash compacts the quarterback. Louisville's up by one. The game is on the line. Juar Jordan breaks breaks free for a massive 74-yard touchdown. How are we feeling? What's the meme to describe that? Chicken dinner. Chicken dinner, baby. Absolutely. Because how could you not smile with that smile and just be so proud of your boys, man? Doing it with the run game, too. Like, look at us. Oh, in the just, trenches. Just, just beautiful. In the trenches. Exactly right. I mean, that's, that's right, uh, man. just warms your heart, man. Just chicken dinner all day long. Chicken dinner. Okay, how about Louisville's offensive performance against Florida State? Not so much chicken dinner, right? And for the folks at home, 111 yards passing in the game, 77 yards rushing in the game, just 10 first downs, 3 of 18 on third down, um, and Jack Plummer, one interception, no touchdowns. Biscuit, how would you describe the offensive performance in that game from a meme standpoint? By the middle of the third quarter, I was dead inside, for sure. Uh, (laughs) The only thing that was keeping me afloat was the fact that the – the uh, stadium staff had served us dinner for like four hours before the game and then threw just <laughs> Bojangles tenders at us at halftime. So they just kept sending us more and more meals. And uh, that was the only thing sustaining me while I was watching one of the worst offensive outfits I've ever seen in my entire life. <laughs> hey, man, I'm here to watch bad offense for a free chicken dinner. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah look, man, it was – it was like literally it was chicken dinner, but but you know, for the meme purposes, <laughs> dude, I was dead inside. Okay. How about Jack Plummer's mustache at the midpoint of the season? And I call out the midpoint of the season, Dave, because if you remember, he has this great moment at the beginning of the year, the top gun video that they make where you know oh, he's yeah. just a dude being a dude and they're having fun, their shirts are off, they're doing chest bumps. And then like people started like, wait a minute, that's a mustache. Like I yes. that's not just a little like fuzz that's a mustache and then it was like oh shit jack's got a mustache and then he shaved it and then he eventually he's like okay i gotta have the mustache i'm not jack without the mustache that's so right. how would, and that's when it was thick like 70s cop show thick like i'm here you know to really lay down the law um uh, maybe a little porn star <laughs> stash i don't know you, you yeah, know that was between that that was all the way extra buttress mm. <laughs> i love i love the mustache man it was my favorite thing about jack and I think that when he started, like I said, he started doubting his mustache. He started doubting his game. Okay, and that's that's all. Stay, I'll stand by that. I will say. I wish one you of could my... see my shirt in that extra butcher of being. By the way, because I'm wearing a deja vu shirt. Uh... <laughs> there's so much. There's so much Seth Rogen in that picture that I just can't stand it, man. Just great that Seth was... Rogen. That was spring break, like 2004 or 2005. I'm wearing a a deja vu shirt that says, I think, nothing but legs. I'm not entirely sure. I try to remember that I got from my buddy's dad, who was a regular. <laughs> so there's a lot more going on in that picture than you can even tell. And look at that just gorgeous curly hair. It is beautiful. Come on. Oh, it's gorgeous. <laughs> but not like that stash, though. That's that. I'm so happy. Little yeah. Eric Wood esque right there with the hair. Yeah, honestly, man. I know, Good right? Throw. How about speaking of Jack Plummer, Jack's interception against Virginia, which I would label as the worst interception of the college football season. I think I would have 
completed that pass, and I think I would have intercepted that pass if I was on the field. So how are we meaning this particular it. moment? I might have. I might have. I didn't. I might have dropped it. But it I hit you square in the hands. I don't want it straight to the ground. It would have been the biggest loss of your career. And I would have walked away. <laughs> sh- I would have been shaking my hand like ah, that would have been your moment. And your mom and dad come off say it's okay, Jacob. <laughs> <laughs> Damn. That was the fu for sure. That was a. Uh, I had that that that's that face a lot this season with the Jack Plummer uh, miscues. I, and I think, if I remember correctly, just to call back to the last segment, his three interceptions under nine yards were the holding, the Jamari Thrash th- throw, the N- NC State end zone, and then Kentucky rollout. Right? Or am I am I misremembering re- that third one? Uh-huh. You've got, yeah, I, th- I think that's right. I'm I having a hard time right, yeah. doing math in my head. The Virginia one, yeah, the, I think the NC State might have been a little bit further than nine yards, but I, who's counting, right? That, Man, it felt structure. like he was inside the six when he threw that. I don't know, but I could I be like wrong. He, yeah, I feel like he did one of those Madden plays where he just ran backwards for like 14 yards before he did finally throw the ball. Uh, and, <laughs> and that's why it was, you know, seven yards short in the end zone. Um, how about storming anyway. the field against Notre Dame? Not necessarily, you know, the, the, the action itself per se, but just the moment for Louisville and what that meant in Jeff Brown's first year. How would you mean I'd that? say chicken dinner for sure. I mean, that was a, uh, it was not just happiness, but it was satisfaction and watching all these people get to experience uh, a field storming, a legitimate one against a highly ranked opponent. And the first, the first showcase game of Jeff Brown's career at Louisville and he absolutely knocked it out of the park. It was just a perfect day. It was a perfect day in Louisville football. It was one of my favorite days uh, in Louisville football history from the tailgate all the way through the end of the game. Uh, and I just kind of sat in the stands and enjoyed watching the field storm. I think everybody really took it in and enjoyed it. And I don't think anybody really poo-pooed it. You know, we're not the fan base that that um, looks down on football field storming. You know, we have a different opinion on basketball court storming, but this is different, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we're we still an aspirational football program. Anybody oh, yeah. at this point, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Stormed the quarter against Bellarmine. We beat him finally. We're back. Out there, like, like Wolf the Bellarmine monkey off our back. All right. Hey. <laughs> <laughs> How about I, I know you appreciated this moment, so I expect this to, to really be where you bring your A game. But how about Travante Sylvester's one yard touchdown catch in the corner of the end zone against Miami. Where what is your meme for that one? The thick six, our only thick Extra six of the year. Butra. I mean. Extra butra. That's Extra right. butra. So happy. So oh happy. man. I if I could just get once or twice a year a big man running and a big man catching, I would be I would it would be my football like dream for that to happen. Uh, you it's know, I, every, it just doesn't make sense why they don't do it more. It, it's every lineman's dream. All right. I mean, I only scored one touchdown in my career and is in freshman football in high school. I blocked a punt and I jumped on it. But like I, there was a moment there was a moment in my senior year. You still remember these things because like it's not I'm not all about glory days. I don't go around talking about what we did in high school. But like this is more like big men remember every time they could have possibly gotten the ball in their hands. <laughs> OK, <laughs> in senior year, I had a pick in my hands and I had 85 to 90 yards in, of green in front of me. And would I have made it all the way? Probably not, but damn it. I would have run so fast, <laughs> the fastest fat man you've ever seen. But uh, yeah, <laughs> six sixes are what we live for in football. 
There should be a thick six in every game, and you should get double points for thick sixes. I, okay. You know, I'm here for that. I do think that there's something there in terms of, like, you get more points, you know? I don't it's know how elevator. many. Something, yeah. Because, I mean, Escalator that's... Escalator clauses. Like, every time, once you hit 300 pounds, you know, it's worth three more points. And every 25 pounds past that, you get three more, you know? Just saying. Think That's how it. you get the, the dude from TCU is the 400-pound lineman out there That's catching right. touchdown passes week after week. <laughs> That's strategy. Richard Perry would have had a 10-year career as a running back, you know, if they had kept – if they had had this, mm-hmm. this clause back in the 80s. <laughs> Just saying. All right, final one here. Talking about the big boys again. I think you'll appreciate this one. But how would you meme the uh, just award-winning performance of Brian Hudson – in the glow game promo. How how are we grading that? Because I mean, you talk about just fitting what you're supposed to do in life and just who you are. That was his moment from the flannel to the boots to the jeans Jono. to the diner. I mean, just come on, oh, man. Yeah. Mm-hmm. How are we moving this it's, one? It's, it's so it's between extra butcher and chicken dinner, right? Cause like there's a slight, there's a slight difference. There's a, there's a just an ever so slight uh, a difference between the two. Like extra butcher is clearly a, just, I'm just delighted. You know, I'm delighted at everything that's going on. With chicken dinner, there's joy, but there's also a certain amount of satisfaction. Mm-hmm. So which way do I have to go with this? You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I I, mm-hmm. I feel like it's almost a combo of the two. I don't know which way I should go. Can you we know, all I, vote to never have a glow game again, though? Yeah, right. At least install LED lights so that we can actually see the glow. Yeah, those people around me were so annoyed of me yelling, turn the lights off every time the, the drive ended, the play ended. Bro, they would have had to wait 30 minutes just to turn them things back off. Right, right. So so right. You turn the lights so off, funny. you see people falling from the tip of the Adidas seats just <laughs> trying so hard beer. to get more beer, right? It's a complete liability to turn those lights off. But but frigging, man, I want the lights off. We're going to make it adults only next year and distribute ecstasy. So that's no, what we're going to do. A rave at Cardinal Stadium. Yeah. That's right. That's, that's not gonna right. happen. Don't worry, everybody. That's right. Well, that is meme <laughs> moment. Great stuff. The that state of Louisville and the Pink Seats podcast do not uh advocate drug use in any kind. Do not do ecstasy on our on our dime. That's right. <laughs> that is right. Well, that's gonna wrap the show up. This has been a lot of fun. Um, hold on one second. Let me go back. That's gonna wrap up this portion of the show. We're gonna dive into a little bit more offensively with everyone's favorite utility quarterback, Evan Conley, on the other side. So stick around, don't go anywhere. Frankfurt Let me Avenue, say one Lickers more thing. Yes, sir. Say one more thing before we move on. Just in summary, like you understand why we're so excited about next year. Like, look at the things that were correctable. Look at the things that we talked about as shortcomings and the reasons, the things that limited our offense. You know, we didn't have the right quarterback possibly to um, really maximize this offense. The tight end position was almost nowhere to be found. You know, we we turned the ball over too much. All these things are so easily correctable. You know, they're they're they've already been addressed in the transfer portal. And you understand why as a whole, I think most of us that cover the team or follow the team closely are so damn excited for what this team could possibly be next year and what this offense could look like. And that's all I really had to say. Frank football. Like four weeks, not really, it's like twelve weeks, something like that. It's yeah, four weeks in Satterfield time. Yeah. There's, there's <laughs> I didn't still mean to cut off your uh your uh your uh wrap up there of the first part of the show, but I feel That's like okay. man, it's, there's a lot of things to be excited about year two or year one and Kenny Payne. Being uh, able to see all, year zero, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
Thanks a lot for having me, boys. It was fun. <laughs> Great stuff as always there from Dave Skull. Thank you, Biscuit, for joining us tonight. Don't go anywhere on the other side. We're going to keep this conversation on the offense going. We will be joined by former Louisville football quarterback Evan Conley. We will talk more about the quarterback position, which was a big topic of conversation here, uh, as well as the offense and and a lot of the interesting parts of Evan's story, one that I, I definitely think is worth tuning in for. So don't go anywhere. We'll be right back. From the Pink Seats podcast is brought to you by the fine folks at Frankfurt Avenue Liquor and Wine. You can find them at 2115 Frankfurt Avenue, right next to the Manhattan Project. Full bar service and a full liquor store. Stop in there today and tell them from the Pink Seats podcast sent you. Mr. and Mrs. is for everyone. From a more traditional 90 proof to a cash drink that's smoother. In 2013, Russ going to the hole. Boy, could we use that right now. Mr. and Mrs. Bourbon covers tastes. All different tastes of preferences, six different bourbons that they're offering. Be among the first to try Mr. and Mrs. Bourbon, the official bourbon of State of Louisville and the Starting 502 podcast on shelves anywhere you find your liquor. And now online at Mr. and Mrs. Bourbon.com. Go check it out. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place by working more efficiently, by using more sustainable practices, by developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com purpose. Parker, engineering your success. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? Hero Bread serves up zero to one grams of net carbs, five to 11 grams of protein, and high fiber in every delicious serving. Made with natural ingredients, Hero Bread supports gut health, promotes weight management, and helps maintain blood sugar. Hero also drops other limited edition ultra-low net carb goodies like rich, flaky croissants and buttery brioche slider rolls. Head to Hero.co to shop today. Super excited to be joined by a guy who has literally given his blood, sweat, and tears to the Louisville football program over the last five seasons. Joining us right now to continue our conversation around the offense in 2023, plus much, much more on his career, is our guy Evan Conley. It was a part of the 2019 class, in case you didn't remember, the first class of signees by Scott Satterfield and played in 31 games over his career. Highlighted by his game-winning touchdown against top 25-ranked Wake Forest on the road back in 2019. Still remember that uh, like it was yesterday on fourth down. He's wrapped up his career and moved on to the professional world, but is kind enough to join us tonight. Welcome in, man. How we doing? Hey, I'm doing good, man. I'm excited to be here. Yeah, that's what everybody says, but I don't necessarily know if I always believe it. But that's great to hear. I absolutely love that, man. And we... We were just kind of chatting before you jumped on. If you remember back to, gosh, what was that, July or August, it was very hot out at Ballard High School for Josh Meekin's skills and drills. We were out there hanging out. That was the first interaction. So this is a long time coming, man. Definitely glad to have you on the show. Um, And who knew, before we get into all of this, who knew that the story of Evan Conley and his final season was going to be as as versatile and as interesting as it was? I am so excited to ask (laughs) about so many of the details uh, of of your versatility this season. Uh, But before we get into that, man, how's life? How's everything going since football wrapped up? Uh, It's 
It's a lot different, man. I mean, playing playing college football and being in college is so much fun. Um, and, you know, you think you're excited about becoming an adult and doing something new. And then you get about two weeks in and uh, you realize, you know, when you have to wake up to go work out before work early in the morning, you're like, oh, I can do that. I did that for football. But during football, I could go home and take a two-hour nap. Now I got to sit at my desk and work all day. It's a little different. So it's been an adjustment. But, I mean, I'm still in grad school and I'm working um, uh, a job that's keeping me pretty busy and uh, trying to just fill my time with, you know, friends and, and family and um, try to do a lot of the things that I didn't get to do uh, these last few years as being an athlete. So, um trying to fill my time so I don't think about how much I miss football. <laughs> Does it feel weird to be out of the football routine yet? Yeah, yeah, all the way. It, it, <laughs> I I will say it is nice on the weekends to, like, have absolutely nothing to do. Oh, it's and the best. What my do you, body – What do you do? Like, I still relish typical, it, Evan. Like, I wake up on Saturdays and – Saturday, wait till football season. There's nothing better than waking up, getting a good bologna egg and cheese sandwich and watching college game day. I mean, there's nothing better. I can't argue with that. What is Evan Conley doing on Saturday without football? Um, well, kind of what Vince was saying is what it what it has been uh, in terms of watching football because we've had the playoff games on. So normally I take the morning and um, uh, it's been – I don't know. I've only had a couple of them. One of the mornings yeah. I went in and worked out at the, at the gym for a little bit and came out and, you know – got the apartment together, cleaned up. So I didn't have to do any of that on Sunday. I could just rest all day Sunday and then went over to uh, my buddy, Isaac Martins. And we watched, sat on the couch and watched football. And, um, you know, one of the days, I forget if it was Saturday or Sunday, but uh, Saints is a Green Bay bar. And okay. we a couple guys that he's, Isaac's a huge Green Bay fan. Uh, DJ Martin, who was our fullback. That was awesome for us this year. He's a big Green Bay fan. And, I loved Aaron Rodgers as a kid, so I just grabbed a Green Bay sweatshirt and pretended like I was a lifelong fan and had a blast, like, rooting for a football team, which is something, you know, I haven't done in a long time, you know? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, man. It's it's a good place, man. They got great wings. I don't know if you've tried them, but next time, get the wings. Great spot there. One quick question just on Louisville in general. I know you're not from here, uh, but a lot of athletes who come and play for Louisville ultimately just like end up settling here and staying and making their life here. Do you anticipate staying in Louisville? You think long term, or you are open to kind of going wherever the next phase of your professional life takes you? Yeah, I mean, I'm open to going wherever. I love Louisville. Uh, don't get me wrong; like, I think this is an awesome city, and I never thought I could enjoy being in a city until like I spent time in Louisville and I learned that okay, there's different types of cities, right? I grow up. We like growing, to have a good time. Huh? Yeah. Well, so, yeah. Growing, growing up around uh, Atlanta, it's just, that was so big mm. and so fast, so much traffic. And it was just felt overwhelming at times to be in the city. And then you be in a city like Louisville where there is some of that it's, a, it's smaller. So it's a little slower pace, but it's still big enough where you get your events. And then one of the things I love about Louisville is just the uniqueness of the neighborhoods, the history in it, uh, it, it truly, there's a lot of community feel in Louisville that I think really makes it special. So, I mean, Louisville is a place that I love and would have no problem staying, but I'm going to be open to, you know, wherever my working career takes me and 
Um, maybe that's me going off somewhere and coming back to Louisville one day, you know, when it's time to settle down and have a family, or maybe it's, I stick around for a few years and go somewhere else. I'm not trying to get nailed down into too many plans right now. Look at that, man. I love it. That's adulting at its finest. We'll figure it out when it comes. That's, I think that's the hack to life. Yeah. We'll just, figure, yeah, it just out. figure it out. Yeah. We'll figure it out. We'll, we'll pass that bridge when we get there. Yeah, exactly. Bingo. I love that phrase. Use it a lot, especially when you have kids. We'll figure it out because they always have questions about everything. We'll figure that out. Now that with uh, football that's in, in the rearview mirror now, have you had like a chance to kind of sit back and reflect on like the journey up to this point, especially like in the first few years at Louisville on, in the Satterfield era? And when you kind of reflect on some of those moments in your career, are there like any moments that kind of stand out to you, whether it be like a high or a low or something else like, you know, notable that's happened in your collegiate career? Yeah, I mean, I tried not to get too wishy-washy with it all as it came down the end. And, you know, I tried to start, you know, taking some time and, and reflecting on it because football has been such a huge part of my life. I've played since I was five years old. So um, it's been so many memories that I love. And, you know, obviously I had a lot of great moments on the field um, that first year. Um, you know, like the, the Wake Forest game, I'll always be able to – it's a nice thing about YouTube. I always be able to show my kids, like, and just pull that up on YouTube and just see your old man used to used to have it back in the day, right? Right. <laughs> but uh, my, my favorite part about that moment, Evan, that game specifically, was what you ran over and uh, told the sideline to tell Coach Ponce up up in the up in the press box. You were like, you were like, tell Coach Ponce five flat what mf'er. And I mean, <laughs> that hands down, bro. Hey, I don't mean to. Put you on spot, but bro, that I was like, oh my god, like that was legend, great. Yeah, that legend, legendary moment right there, <laughs> hands down. Yeah, coach, coach Ponce liked to mess with me and say I was slow all the time and stuff like that, which I, I guess compared to Malik, I was, but I mean, I'm not, I'm not slow, right? But Joke. compared to Jack, Joke. you're faster. So jokes, jokes at, on him, jokes you were the wildcat yeah. quarterback at that, <laughs> right? <laughs> right. <laughs> Look at me now, man, the wildcat quarterback. I mean, seriously. That's incredible. And I, I'm just curious, like, what was what was it like? You know, I know you played a lot over the first couple of years um, just in terms of with injuries and things. But what was it like being just a backup quarterback to a guy like Malik, who, you know, for the most part, I feel like you probably knew most weekends he was going to play like the whole game and you probably weren't going to get in. But like, how, how did you in, like just keep yourself locked in during those days as a backup and, and just soaking it all in? Because when I talk to people who know you and who were around you as a football player, they always say like, Oh, he's a coach at some point. Like that's just, he, he is football. He soaks it up so easily all the time. But I would imagine as a backup, that's, I, I would be like, man, I want to play. You know what I mean? Like that's gotta be tough to stay locked in like that. Yeah, I mean, honestly, I wanted to play. I mean, yeah, right. Play, right? Um, and, you know, what's funny about that is, like, I don't want to coach. Like, uh, I I don't have that desire to do that. But um, I think for me, like, it's just – I think – and I think, too, it's a testament to my, to my parents and to my dad especially that the way I was brought up is, like, however you're doing it, you got to be all in on it, right? And it doesn't matter – you know, what result you're seeing from it right now, you don't know when that moment's going to be that you get that result. And that's in everything in life. That's not just in your sport. You know, that can be in your job. That can be in a uh, just 
a, a hobby you have or a goal or aspiration you have in your life, in your personal life. Like it, if you don't, you know, fully commit and be into those moments, you're not going to be prepared when you get them. And, and, you know, that's something that I think, you know, especially for me, you know, that freshman year, I was, I mean, they told me, Hey, you're going to redshirt, like you're not going to play. Da, da, da. And then all of a sudden it quickly became, you're the only quarterback practicing this week. Um, so, and, you know, I just, I think back to like, there was times, you know, in the spring where I sat there and I was just sitting in the playbook learning it. And, you know, I had um, other guys that were, you know, my, in my class that were like, just didn't understand why I was doing that, knowing that we were all like, we were all redshirting, right? And that was the plan. But, you know, I was, I was prepared and I was prepared for them for that moment. And I think, you know, it's a good, I'm an obvious testament of like, you don't know what's going to happen in your career and you don't know when you're not going to get another moment to step on that field and, um, and, and play. So, I mean, that's what I can't imagine how much differently I would look back on my collegiate career if I hadn't been prepared in those moments, if I hadn't put that time in and I didn't have those great memories, um, from from that from the years where where I I, I did get some more significant playing time, so I, I think that's where it all comes down from. You definitely yeah. prepared every week, like you were going to be the starting quarterback, and that was like the most impressive thing, you know, because it's hard for an 18, 19, 20 year old, even a fifth, six year senior to prepare every week, you know, when they might not get the opportunity to play to you know prepare as if they are the starter. Uh, so, I mean, kudos to you for being able to do that every week, but I want to know, well, I, I kind of do know, cause we would be scrambling around trying to find your helmet and trying to get you warmed up, but <laughs> those moments where we are throwing you in, what is going through your head? You know, are you thinking about where we are down a distance? What coach, what coach might be calling next? Or are you just trying to get loose? Just doing your thing. I don't even know how to describe it. Like when I played football it, it was always one of those things where you know because I knew I put the time in I I was never concerned about uh I didn't I didn't go in with concerns right like I never had things in the back of my head that's like oh crap like let me get this I was it was just all right let's get loose let's go play and like I little things um like down and distance like what are we doing like those are some things that I had studied so much in my in my time in football and knowing, Hey, this is a smart thing in this scenario. This is not the smart thing in this scenario that I didn't really, ne I never was consciously thinking about those things as a quarterback. Those are things that have to become second nature that you don't waste your time thinking on them. Right. Um, lots of times I'd like, sometimes I'd spend a, a, a few seconds thinking about a, a good little, good little line to hit to the guys when I walk in the huddle. That's, you know, <laughs> yeah, for sure. What was your <laughs> best one lighter? You that gotta you have some witty, guy? man. Yeah. Yeah, I don't. I don't know. I, I normally, I normally come with some whip, but then probably some, some uh, language I probably shouldn't use on the, on the <laughs> podcast. Just to let the O line, let the O line know that I'm. Hey, I'm ready to play, and you're gonna get all I got. Because that's yeah. that's the one thing that I was, I'm very confident I can say about my time here is like I never did not give everything I had on a play. I mean, if yeah. if I handed the ball off, I was gonna go try and get a block. You know, if if or I was going to run the fake out as hard as possible, like if like if you were supposed to, to if, if someone had me wrapped up in the backfield, I was going to fight 
and and have three more guys come hit me and make it be a to make it be a loss of five and a half instead of six, you know, <laughs> on a sack. Like, and, and that's just that's just the way I played and the way I because I loved those guys that I played with and I wanted to give them everything I had. And I think um, that allowed guys to be comfortable, especially with me playing as a freshman that, that allowed them to be comfortable with me being in there. Cause they knew, Hey, whether he's young, whether he's experienced, we're going to get everything we have from him. So it allows them to be like, okay, now we want to do that for him as well. Hey, as soon as I see an 18 year old kid go out there and have the balls to pull the ball and take it for 60 Man. against Wake Forest and uh, score a touchdown, I think I'm cool following that guy wherever. <laughs> it's Evan, you know that that play, like, you know, you talk about playing the, the position you played at the school you played at, right? Lamar Jackson, Teddy Bridgewater, you know, these Chris Redman, Dave Ragone, Stefan LaForth, of course, Johnny United. It's like, the play, though, like, do you realize the pantheon in which that moment in itself belongs in mobile football history? Every year man. has certain plays. Right. That's, it, that like 19, is, that's like, that's the play everybody thinks of in 2019. Is you taking right. it to the crib? Well, and if you and if you think about it, you, until 2022 when you all beat Wake at home and they're a top 10 team, I mean, that's Satterfield's biggest win of his career at Louisville. I mean, they were top 25. Jamie Newman was dominating at the time. Like, that was a big game, and I know they fell off at the end of the year, but, like, that moment, the fact that this freshman quarterback on fourth and whatever it was just took the ball and ran right up the field and scored, it, it's just – it's one of those moments that you never forget. Yeah, I get I get reminded of it uh, uh, time and again. It'd, it'd yeah. be funny it'd be if I was out somewhere with Jack and, like, guys would recognize Jack or Miller because they're both you know, six, five, six, six, eight dudes. They're like, Oh, you guys are on the football team. Maybe talking to him. And they're like, they'd be like, Oh yeah. And this is Jack would always try to pawn him off on me or something just because he knows he mess with me. Go, oh yeah. This is Evan Conley, you know? And then they'd be like, no way. Like wake Forest 2019. And I was like, yeah. yeah. Oh my God. You want to go buy me a beer? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Right. There's that that saying that you never have to buy a beer again. Like, has that held up? Have people been buying you beer since then? You know, well, not then. Uh, you weren't 21 I mean, then, but uh, every once in a while, not yeah. so, not so. I mean, it, it. I'm not the most like if you see me out on the town, like you wouldn't necessarily be like, oh, that's definitely you know uh, a college football player. I right. Rock the generic. Uh, like if I was a video game character, it'd be like generic white guy three look kind of. Oh, we went there. over that. We, you and I'd be lucky to have a rating in our NCAA, like you said. <laughs> oh man, well, that's great. That. Derek Dorsey used to tell me he played on me at NCAA all the time in the updated roster. Okay. Oh, oh yeah, man. Yeah. I'm sure that speed, sneaky quick, man, as they say. You know, deceptive. deceptive. Yeah, exactly. Right. See, that's that's what it is. Well, let me ask you this before we start talking about 2023 and and really what this season evolved into for you. I want to ask you a little bit because I know um, people are aware that you you went through some injuries, but and we don't really necessarily have to go into specifics unless you'd like. But can you just share what your injury journey has been like in terms of the rehab and getting back to be able to play football? I mean, we've talked a lot this season on the show. Again, we're going to get into this and I'm excited. But when we talk about our show gets excited about some of the nuances of football, like a quarterback playing special teams. Like that gets this show fucking riled up. Like, <laughs> give me that guy seven days out of seven days. Right. But how do we get from you having some serious injuries to doing that? Like, just tell me what that rehab process was like and how hard it was for you to, 
you know, I'm sure there was moments where you probably felt like, is it worth it to come back? And what was that kind of like for you? Yeah. So it was, it was really, really tough. And it was a really long process um, because we kind of got stuck in this weird spot where we didn't have a lot of quarterbacks on the roster and the injury I had, you don't get very good imaging of it necessarily. So when I started having the issue and it's like, obviously you don't want to go straight to surgery. So we tried some different options with injections and that sort of thing. And like the initial imaging I got, the doctors were like, I don't know if this is necessarily a surgery case or not. And um, so we were, it got to the point where it was like, okay, well, if we do surgery now, there's no chance you're ready for the season at all. And we have, it was just me and Malik at the time. Right. And it was one of those things where it was like, that 2020? Um, Is that the 2020? 20, I think it was 21. Okay. Mm. Yeah, it was 21. Because it was just me and Malik. Um, Brock came in in like the middle of the summer. So like you, you can't go into it assuming that, you know, some guy you've never had on the team before is going to be prepared. Um, so it was one of those things where I could play through it and it's not going to make it any worse per se. I don't necessarily agree with that. <laughs> um, it was get a little it, bit worse. It was a, it was a, yeah, it was a, it became a pain tolerance thing, right? Yeah. It's like, if you can, like you could play on it, like I could run and I could run around and play football, but then I couldn't walk once I sat down and it all inflames and tightened up. So what I had was a, uh, on, on my hip where the, uh, where the femur sits in the ball and socket joint, like it's supposed to be here and then sits in all nice and pretty. Right. Mine would had like a bone growth on it like this. So it sat in there and as a quarterback, you're rotational. So that rotation drove that, uh, it's called a cam lesion, drove that cam lesion up into the hip bone or the actual pelvis. And it tore through the labrum completely and it tore up the cartilage and uh, ended up having at the end of the season because it just got worse and worse and worse. And it got to a point where, like, I wasn't even practicing. I was, you know, I was just showing up on game days and was just in case. Right. Yep. Um, and ended up it was surgery ended up being about twice as long as they thought it was going to be uh, just because you can't see it good. And they got in there. It was I think Doc said it was the biggest bone growth he had shaved down and. The labrum, I have five anchors in one side, and I had the same surgery on my left side as well three months later. I remember. So, I yeah, remember the so day you came and then told, and you were like, Yeah, that's some. Because that whole time prior to this, guys, I have still have videos on my phone of you in the weight room, and we're trying to figure out why the ball's not coming out of your hand right. And we're, and we're thinking it's a release thing, if you remember. And no, that was that was different. That was when I uh, had tearing in my rotator cuff. Oh, okay. Uh, that was no. another injury. Just that other bad injury. Yeah, the other mean, injury. Yeah, I mean that's football. It wasn't. It wasn't. Over. It wasn't super bad. It just was. I needed some rest on it, which actually timed up with COVID, so that actually helped. But um, well, regardless, the fact that you played with that, I mean, that's. I mean, Brian Hudson. This whole year was one of those guys we always heard about. Just trying to get get him to Saturday, and he's going to go out there and give you everything you got. And I mean. That's what you. That's a football guy right there. I mean, oh, dude, Brian yeah. Hudson's the. You and Brian Hudson, like guys like that, that go out there. Uh, I mean, 
Remember, Boosie don't, don't Whitlow, me, your don't friend. Don't me in with Brian. That's not. Well, that's I not mean, guys like all you all, Boosie Whitlow, all you guys, like the guys that don't practice halfway through the week because they're so banged up and still show up on Saturday, like running out there like a bat out of hell, like that, it's insane. It's one of those things where you sit back, personally as me, the guy who's had two ACL surgeries and wasn't tough enough to come back from the second one, I'm I'm sitting over here like, I mean, this is insane what some of these guys are trying to do right here. It's insanely competitive, and it's insanely, you know, I mean, what you go out there and do for your teammates. Yeah. That's it's it's awesome. And like Vince can tell you, like like he said, he's been he's been through the surgeries. When you have a surgery, like you don't ever come back the same. Like you're never going to truly feel like you did before that surgery yeah. in terms of your athletic ability. So like that's kind of how I got rolled into you know, the role I was in this year where I finally got healthy enough where I could like run and do things athletically and honestly was in some of the better shape and putting up some of the best athletic numbers I had done in a long time, but I had a really hard time with rotation. So I got to a point where very rarely did I ever feel like good where I could actually clear my hips on a throw just because there's so much junk in there and I get so much inflammation. So it got where like I'd lost some juice on my ball. I'd lost some yardage on my deep ball. And like, there's times where I'd have a good day and it'd click and I'd be like, I don't know, maybe it's back. And then the next day it'd be like, Oh, nope, I can't walk today. That's what it was. <laughs> hey, you got one more year, Evan. Yeah, like, man. I mean, let's go throw Look, some balls right about, now, yeah, and we can. Yeah, we can work. This, right? <laughs> There's a position for you somewhere, man. There's got to be like, as a, I, I never played serious football, so but like I envision what my career would be now. It's finding a role where you can play, but nobody notices you're out there, right? You can just like kind of go through the motions. Say you're a player, you're on the field, you're still playing, but you're not really in the action, right? That would be so. I envision that would be what it would be for you. Is like, uh, I don't know. I, I can't think of one now because every player in football matters. That's the thing, right? But like a fullback, I don't know. A fullback on a passing play. I don't matter. know. We matter. Yeah, but on a running play, you're much oh, more impactful. My my body is very happy that I'm done. Yeah, I would imagine. Pickleball is calling your name. Pickleball and golf. Yeah. Oh, dude, I'm a stud at pickleball now. I believe it. Hey, so that's my, that's my sport now. That's my hey. – I'm up, I'm down – I'm five-minute walk from Tyler Park. I'm down there playing with those old ladies, and I'm – running that for it man <laughs> except for there's a couple of those ladies that can whoop my whoop me man it's impressive this topic about the injury it's actually a good said uh segue for my next question so you mentioned how the injury kind of played a role in beat and you transitioning into the role you had in 2023 at, at one point did the coaching staff or jeff brom or brian brom or who or whomever come up to you and say hey we're going to make you the wildcat quarterback. And like, and what was your reaction to that? Because I assume with like everything that's going on with the injury, you were probably a little bit more keen to that because of the, you know, uncertainties with the injury there. Like how, how did that whole process come about and how that go over? Uh, honestly, I wasn't super surprised about it because um, Jack told me there was a good chance they do that after. Cause like when I came back from winter workouts, so I know Coco, maybe people had told you this after your ACL where they're like, you may not feel good, but like all that rehab work you do, like you'll come back, you'll be like the fastest you've ever been. Like, yeah. cause you've been oh, yeah. doing all those little, and yeah. like, that was, that was 
honestly, truly how I, um, uh, how I felt like in the, those January, February months with the workouts and I was killing those. You're in the best shape of your life. Best shape of my life was after rehab because I've been doing so much of that stuff to your point. Evan. Yeah. And because there's a lot of little, there's a, when there's a lot of little muscles that you don't work all the time that when you're in rehab and when you get to the athletic level you're at in college, college sports, like you need, the, it's working those little muscles that give you that, you know, tiny little growth that gets you a tiny little bit faster. Cause you're not going to get that much faster once you. And Evan and I need that. We yeah. need that tiny little bit. <laughs> yeah. But like through workouts and stuff, like it was pretty clear that like athletically I was, I was moving the best of all the quarterbacks and like I was putting up really good numbers just in general, not even just for quarterbacks, just for, you know, skill position guys in general. Uh, yeah, I was in with combos, but uh, skill position too. I know yeah. we were, when we ran, we ran like, uh, they were three hundreds. They weren't full three hundreds, but, uh, we ran three hundreds and, um, I, I don't know. I, I, I don't know if anybody was uh, outpacing me on those. Those were uh, <laughs> we were we were moving on those, but I wasn't overly surprised about it. And they told me about it in the spring, and in the spring they had uh, used me some in like an athletic QB period where we just did some athletic QB plays. And um, I know Jeff had made some comments to me like on a couple plays where I had taken off and run, and he was like. Yeah, buddy, you held fast, man. Yeah. <laughs> hey, and that's coming from Jeff. Jeff Jeff was the speed guy now. So that's a I good know. Problem. That's what and so that's why I yeah. And so like and they'd done it, they'd done it in the past. So I didn't and I had no clue how much it was gonna get used. I had no clue if it was ever gonna get used. But I was like, you know, I'll take it, man. It gives me a shot, right? Hell yeah. yeah. That's awesome. And and kind of speaking of those new roles, there's transitioning from, you know, the traditional like just quarterback to wildcat quarterback and then there's taking a role on special teams like whose idea was that because like obviously you know there's few and few football players out there who have never played on who haven't played on special teams but quarterbacks are typically not off limits i'm willing to bet you were the only quarterback playing special teams in the country in the world over the past five years in the world Taysom Hill, Taysom Hill does it every every Sunday. That okay, is not a quarterback. Fair. As that's a Lamar fair, Jackson Dougie. podcast, that is not a quarterback. <laughs> that's fair, man. I, that's a good point. So you're one of two. That's pretty unique. No, I mean, it honestly started from – so Coach Mads had been here previously. I knew it. I knew it was. I, I kind of had a feeling that's where that was coming from. Yeah, yeah and uh, Mads is an awesome dude, man. I loved being with him and uh, the years I spent when he was here to begin with and then – this past year and he's awesome and it kind of started with joking about doing it on some stuff for uh uh for punt being in the shield so we could run fake punts or just the fact that i'd be back there would keep them from pressuring all out oh yeah yeah and and i was like yeah man whatever you need dude and then he like kept joking about it. And I was like, I, I'm, I'm serious, man. Like whatever, whatever you need me to do, like I I'll do it, man. You want me to run down on kickoff? I'll run down on kickoff. If you want me to whatever. Right. I mean, so kickoff return, like, kickoff return was the wildest one seeing you on. I hated being on kickoff return. That was awful. <laughs> <laughs> that was the worst thing I've ever, that was the worst thing I've ever had to do in football. Kickoff return. Frontline kickoff return. You got to sprint 
30, 30, 40 yards backwards and then turn and flip. And then there's a guy that had a 10 yard head start <laughs> from you running before you could start. Cause you had to see the ball kicked. Right. So you had to make sure that the ball got kicked and wasn't a surprise on side. And then you had to turn and run, find your guy who hasn't had to stop at all and just bam. And it's like, it was all about my whole thing is I was just trying to outsmart it. Just find leverage. Hey, if my return's going right and my dude wants to run to the left, that's perfect. I'm going to get right on his shoulder and just run with him right on by because he can get as close as he wants to the tackle. If he doesn't make it, that's all that matters. That's mm-hmm. so funny. So that's the thought process of a quarterback on special teams. The thought process of a fullback is just, you know, run your 30, 40 yards, hope you can count that far back, and then just turn around, panic a little bit, and go through the first guy you see. I mean, that's so <laughs> Oh my but gosh! It, Dude, I it love truly, that. it truly all got started because there was like a punt block day where Maz was like, "You can jump in if you want," and I, I was like, and I, on my first try, I blocked a punt. So that was how, that was how oh, it got started. Yeah, you gotta, you gotta are, go it now. Are you yeah. one of those guys who's just good at everything? And the first thing they did, like, because I'm one that like I gotta have a lot of tries to get good at something. Like, are you the guy no. who just they're just good at everything? Is that no? I just, used to got, think I used to think I was. Uh, and then I, uh, as I came to college and I got around guys that are, uh, a lot more athletic than me and a lot better at things, a lot faster than me. I learned I wasn't that guy, <laughs> but, uh, it's just one of those things, just like I was saying earlier, it's just, I think it comes down to, and a lot of special teams comes down to like your willingness to give effort. Right. And yeah. there's some guys that are willing to do that. And some guys that aren't, I, I, if you guys ever get a chance to, to watch the special teams film from last year, if you ever are bored, watch number zero on kickoff chris bell who is a starting receiver for us and was also on all of our special teams and him and like maurice turner those guys you can't find guys that give more effort than they did on on special teams right and it's just the the more willing you are to do that the more success you'll have at it and and you have to have good special teams to be yeah man a good team so you think on that Keeping on that topic of you playing multiple different positions in the Wildcat quarterback, we were talking earlier with Dave Skull about the jump pass and how angry and frustrated we were that that play never yes. was executed. Uh, Come on, uh, Evan. Was it in the playbook, Evan? Mom, I, I need to know this. Uh, yeah, give me the tea on why we never got that. No, we had we had a bunch of different things off of it. It's just one of those things where it's like you can only call so many plays, right? That hurts. Did you, you want you could have audibled it though? He gave <laughs> you could have pulled the Jameis Winston. <laughs> yeah, no, that was and, yeah, man. Be like, sorry, Jeff, we're going with my play, which is me throwing the ball. <laughs> well, the the last, I guess the last. Well, I guess not the last two, but two of the last threes that we ran were were touchdowns. So they were. Uh, I was. Yeah, I started. Man. I was at that point. I was like, I'm just gonna trust him to keep going on this. But yeah, uh, well, okay, yeah, good point. That yeah. is a good point. I will say though, and and I don't mean this um, tongue in cheek. I I think that when you talk about what Louisville football is and what you talk about the character of the guys who have come through that that building and have given everything they have. I think that you'll forever go down as one of the guys that's mentioned is, you know, not necessarily like, you know, like you would Lamar or, or Malik or anybody, but the effort 
the the willingness to give everything you have is what this program is all about. And I think that I think I, I wonder if you just if you've seen that in your five years of the fans, you know, as you as you go on your career, they start to like it, uh, love you a little bit more because you 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 give that effort. You come back from an injury that's as, as hard as you did. And then you give what you did this past year and ultimately make a major difference. I mean, you don't win some of the games and, and be in the games without you coming in there and making those plays. And I, I remember, I remember Murray state, you came in, I think you were the first quarterback off the bench. And I remember at the time being like, okay, all right, I like this. Like I didn't think Evan was going to play this year. I thought that, you know, he was just back, maybe get his degree and it would be whatever the case is recovering from that injury. And then I, I don't think it was until was it, I can't remember what it was Miami is the next carrier, whatever it was. And in between then the special teams thing had kind of happened. And it's just like, man, this, this dude is like, he's stuck around. He's still here. He's giving literally everything. And this is like the reward is winning, you know, 10 games, getting to go to the ACT championship. So I, I mean it seriously when I say thank you for everything you did. Um, it may not for, for you, it may not feel like it was the world, but I know fans appreciate guys that play with the the zeal and the, the, the effort that you did at football, man. I really mean that. Yeah, I appreciate that. That means a lot. It really does. Great. Well, let's talk about this season, okay? Because I've got a lot of questions. Um, I'm curious from a quarterback perspective, what's it like going from, um, you know, Pete Thomas, Scott Satterfield, to Brian Brom, Jeff Brom? What was that like in the quarterback room? What were the dynamics like? Yeah, I mean, it was a lot different. I mean, obviously, and, and from my perspective, this is kind of how things work in college football is you have two trains of thought, right? You have coaches that are like, okay, we're going to have what we do and we're going to be really, really good at it. And then you have coaches that are like, we're going to have a little bit of everything and we're going to have all the options. And obviously last two, the last two coaches have been two ends of the spectrum on that. Right. Sure. Um, you know, sat and was great. And I think what was interesting uh, coming into this was how much uh, film breakdown or how many plays we had that um, Brom Brian was sitting in the meeting and be like, yeah, we actually stole this from you guys when we were doing a study on, on, uh, <laughs> on Satterfield because they wanted to revamp their whole zone scheme. And, and so that's, that's the guy to copy off of if you're doing zone. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So the zone scheme, but adding, adding the more elements and especially from a quarterback perspective, uh, there was a lot more responsibilities and protection, a lot more responsibilities, run checks, uh, audibles, uh, I mean, there was, you know, there was plays that got called in that were automatic. Uh, we're calling this uh, formation and you're looking out there and you're giving them the routes before the play based off the look. Right. Like there was, there's stuff like that. And um, it was, it was definitely, you know, different and obviously learning the offense makes it a, a big challenge and felt like things were sometimes swimming a little bit, which was nice. Uh, it was a fun challenge. You know, it was nice to have something that was, you know, a, a little challenging. It would be fun to be, I would have loved to, the thing I would have loved about being back in the quarterback room this year was getting to experience the coaching from a more in-depth perspective than just learning the playbook. But because you have to spend so much time learning the playbook your first year in this offense that, yeah. you know, so many of the, the nuggets or the quarterback, the more quarterback coaching points and stuff like that from Brian, you know, maybe we necessarily didn't have all the time in the world for. What was it like? What was it like getting the freedom to be able to go out there and call your own routes based off of the look? 
Um, I mean, that wasn't really something that uh, the other guys got. That was more of a uh, a, a Jack thing. Um, <laughs> but damn, Evan. <laughs> well, just just in terms of like when they scripted, that's just how it was. They did it with the ones, right? Like, that's I mean, it's right, not yeah. like I was in there yeah. for a ton of plays, but it was it was cool. The first time I made a run check, uh, this first time I made a run check since high school, then that worked. And I was like, Oh, that's cool. I remember doing that back in the day. That was fun. Um, what was the big, what, what was the biggest challenge for you learning the offense this year? Just, I mean, you're that it's always, I remember when Satin them came in, I was like, all right, just Petrino's offense is, you know, very similar to Jeff's and everything. And I was yeah. like, I, I was looking good. at sets and I was like, I can learn this. This is, this is, it's my it's kind just of football the terminology, right you know, and that's, and I mean, you know how it was, Coco, because you essentially, yeah, they're the same for the a lot. They're similarly inspired. Yeah, Katrina and Rom. The terminology doesn't necessarily make sense. No, <laughs> right? Like it's like just random. A creative it's just name. random stuff that got written down. It's like this is just what it is because that's what it is. Right? Yeah, some stuff there's some flow to it. But like that was the difference with Sats. They were very big on like, hey, if if there's these letters in the word, it means this. Yeah, like, like, pi- like pirate, pirate, pirates post <laughs> the post now. Yeah, like that. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. So, and then just the other difference of from a past past game perspective, it wasn't okay. You learn the concept as a three-man concept or a two-man concept. Um, and then that can apply to however we line up in the formations, right? It was, okay, and, then, and it was the same play call, right? You just change the formation and you know, hey, these are the rules for three-by-one, yeah. two-by-one, yeah. or yeah. two-by-two, sorry. Or, uh, you know, if the tight end's attached, detached, whatever. With Brahms offense, it's a totally different play call. If the routes are exactly the same in the exact same places, but the letter of the guy that you draw up on the sheet or on the whiteboard is different, is a totally different play. Even if even if you erase the people and all the lines stay the same. That's wild. That's wild and very difficult. I mean, I remember Robbie Bell, uh, my freshman year. He was my roommate. Learning, he was a center at the time and trying to learn mm-hmm. Petrino's offense. A lot like you. I was the other teammate. Like, why are you doing this right now? We're all red shirt. <laughs> Robbie's over here drawing up every single detail of the play. And I mean, he would cover his whole mirror, the wall to wall mirror. And it, it was. Well, that's was why insane. Robbie's going to be a great coach, man. Let's talk about a little bit about um, the offense this season in particular. One thing I'm curious about is just kind of, you know, watching and, and being, it sounds like a, a, a pal. What, what was kind of like your driver's? Uh, the passenger side view of watching Jack develop into, you know, obviously he had familiarity with Jeff from playing at Purdue years ago, but kind of come into Louisville and grain himself in, in the city and become the guy. I mean, it was pretty clear he was going to always be the guy, but what was that journey like just from the whole season of, of watching him kind of, you know, deal with uh, a lot of success as a team, but maybe some challenges as an indiv- you know, from an individual performance standpoint. Yeah. I mean, and I, I tell this to everybody, man. And I get that down the stretch, like things didn't go how we all wanted them to pan out. And so, you know, as a quarterback, when things are good, you get praise. And when things don't go good, you get you get ripped. And that's part of being a quarterback. But 
he doesn't get enough credit for what he did because what nobody can see what from a fan perspective, which you can't expect the fans to see this because they're not there is they don't understand the, the fact that I don't even know if we'd be able to put an offense out on that field if it wasn't for him. Right. Like exactly. He was in there from day one, you know, coaching us, coaching the offense, to all of us. We were sitting down in meetings. He was on the whiteboards. He was running through it. We were sitting down a couple hours every day with the entire offense. And even through all that, I mean, there was times early on in the season where we were calling plays in the huddle and he would call the play and then tell every dude what they were doing because they would all just look at him like, uh. <laughs> I mean, and, that's how it would be with Petrino too, man. With That's why Lamar became so deadly when he was because he learned the entirety of the playbook after his first year. Yeah, and and it's not that's not a shot at any of of the other skill guys, but like you can't expect them to be at the same level as he was being in the offense now his his fifth year in it. Yeah, his fifth year in the offense. And the other thing is he was he was the smartest football player I'd been around, right? Like and and he didn't he didn't leave the facility all day. He was in there. He sat in, in the quarterback room and watched film. And really all of us did. And and um, you know, from a leadership perspective, he was willing to take on the roles that he took on. And um I think one of the big things is, you know, you saw, especially that middle of the season, you know, Notre Dame, Duke, Virginia Tech, where we kind of realized, hey we can just like line up and run the ball straight at these guys. Cause our offensive line is really good and our fullbacks really good and our running backs are really good and we can be successful. And like, there was a couple games there. Um, I think what the, the, the Duke game, he was like 11 of 13 with two drops and the Virginia tech game was yeah, like, yeah. like 11 of 12 with a throwaway, like in, there was where he turned in this role where it was, Hey, this is what we're asking you to do to win the game. And it's not the pretty thing to do if you're trying to go play at the next level. And there was never a moment where he complained about it. There was never a moment where he was like, man, I wish we were throwing the ball more. He was like, man, this is awesome. We're winning games. And at the end of the day, that's all he cared about was winning the next game that showed up. And it's unfortunate that, you know, we didn't get the wins down the stretch that that we wanted, but I, I I truly truly do not believe that that season is anywhere near as successful as it is without Jack Palmer. Like just yeah. being realistic, as someone who was in there every single day and um, was around him uh, a lot. When you look at kind of the the way that the season went and kind of where some of the I don't want to say struggles, but where some of the things kind of became a little bit different, maybe than what they were planned for in terms of personnel, particularly talking about Jawar's injury and Jamari Thrash's injury. Um, you know, we've, we spent a lot of this episode talking about one of the struggles was it never seemed like a, a number two receiver ever was able really to kind of come along and support Jamari knowing he had that pretty serious injury that was kind of limiting his, his play. How did the offense kind of go about compensating for that? You know, it seemed like, later towards the season, Jack spread the ball out a lot more and would, you know, there'd be games where he would throw it to eight, nine, 10 different receivers, but nobody would really have 
you know, big numbers. But so how how did that kind of go about in being able to say, okay, you can't throw the ball to Jamari 14 times a game. We got to get everybody else involved. And here's the challenges and how here's how we overcome that. Yeah, I mean, obviously we knew that was an issue and Jamari is an incredible, incredible football player. And he showed that. And uh, you could see Jawar clearly was not healthy uh, down the stretch. And, you know, and, and we realized that. And I don't think there was ever necessarily – uh, an emphasis put on, hey, you have to replace Jamari and you have to put replace um, Thrash. Uh, and I think everyone just tried to, hey, we have to, we understand that if we try to push and we try to overdo things that it's like, that's where. You, you have know, to run the offense at the end of the day. Just yeah, run the exactly. offense and, so you know. at the end of the day, you got to trust the offense. You got to trust what you're doing. You got to trust what the, what the coaches are asking you to do and you just got to go out there and try to execute. And um, that's, that's one of those things that I can, I can truly say, especially on the offensive side of the ball, those, um, those, those guys that went out there, like they went out there to execute the job as, as hard as they can, you know, and um, um, you know, Florida state, we kind of went out and got our ass kicked. Um, I, I think that was, that was more of a, I, it, and I, I'll say it, that, that was a testament to how good that defense was. And, I mean, I truly believe um, you give that Florida State team, Jordan Travis, and you put them in the CFP, oh, yeah. there's, a good chance they're oh, the, there's a good chance they're coming out with the trophy. Yeah. And you can't – I look, you got to ignore the uh, the Georgia game because, realistically, Georgia's probably the best team in the country last year, right? It's like if – Georgia Bama plays 11 times. Georgia probably wins 10, right? Yeah, exactly. Yep. So playing a, a pissed off Georgia team uh, with uh, 30 dudes out and I think maybe like six total starters playing, if that, not even that. The game's a wash. Uh, yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. Again, like that defense, the way they played, if they had played with that same level of intensity and that same level of fire, that understanding, because the thing is they realized, Hey, our offense isn't going to do much. The only way we can get in is if we win this game. And if we want to get in, we have to win this game. It's going to be because of the defense. And you can see they fully embraced that and uh, just went after it. I mean, outside, outside the dudes, what per- every single snap. I, I mean, how often, I think the fist guy might've too, like how often do you see a defensive lineman play every single snap of a game? Outside the know. dudes, what was the most difficult thing uh, scheme wise? you would say that presented us Florida state that game? Um, I think Florida state's scheme wise necessarily wasn't a great matchup for us this past year, just in terms of what we wanted to do. Um, and I think at the end of the day, their def- their defensive backs, specifically their safeties were phenomenal tacklers mm-hmm. and they were aggressive to, um, um, they were aggressive to get in the box and um, you know, they were allowed – they let them play aggressive outside and get physical outside and um, grab and hold, and they weren't – they weren't – they just established, hey, we're not calling anything this game. And sometimes yeah, you have that. Uh, yeah, and, yeah. and realistically, too, we expected that because you have to think going into that game, hey, we're not going to get a single call because the only way the ACC benefits is if Florida State wins that game. And I, I'm not saying don't don't make, make – Make this sound like I'm saying the refs are why we lost that game. Please don't don't cut this. No, up. no, nobody. Uh, but I'm that. saying like you expect that for that game, right? So you got to know, hey, it's going to be physical, and they were they were good. Like you got sometimes you got to sit down and you got to give them credit uh, for what they did uh, as much as you have to recognize 
you know, hey, th this is what we left on the field and what we could have done and, and should have done better. So, and then yeah. it's tough to just get out of a rhythm and sometimes it's tough to get out of that funk. It was, it was interesting to watch, um, but it, and still the kind of, you know, not to take away from the fact that the game was very close and it, it could have gone a different way. It's still very cool to see Louisville get to that moment. And I'm sure for you, that had to have been cool considering, you know, what you've been through with the year in 2020 um, and some of the struggles and, you know, throughout that entirety, even to the fact I would imagine for you, you know, having been in some of those seasons where, I think we've talked a lot about it this show and we've gotten criticized a lot for it, but you're, you all are a couple of bounces away in 22, 19 from being like a really, you know, highly regarded football team with ranking and things like that. But this year for you, it's gotta be cool to see those games. Like, you know, the, the Virginia game, the Miami game, like y'all came back and won. Like that was, that's awesome. Um, and so for that, I, I'm sure that was probably a very cool moment to be able to go to Charlotte. Uh, but let me ask you this. Let's turn the, the dials forward a little bit. You'll be watching from the sidelines like us next year. You can enjoy one of those wonderful Cardinal Stadium beers. I would highly, I would highly encourage you to try one of those. It doesn't even have to be the Cardinal. Any beers from the Cardinal Stadium taps, Evan? They are, they are, uh, they're just, uh, they're beautiful. They are wonderful. They make the football experience better, but you'll be sitting there watching the team just like us. And, and I've been listening to some of the things you've talked about. And it sounds like this year, one of the things that really helped you all was the familiarity with Jeff coming from Jack, Eric, some of these guys that came in from Purdue that kind of goes out the window next year. You bring in um, a new quarterback and, and Tyler Shuck from Texas tech, who, um, you know, is going to be a, a sixth, seventh year guy, just like kind of like Jack was an older, more mature guy. But I'm curious more of your perspective of two guys who were in the room with you. And that's Pierce Clarkson and Brady Allen. I'm really curious in your, in your opinion, do you think those guys are going to be in the mix of competing and, and really taking that next step to follow behind Jack after that year of sitting, watching, learning, soaking, and then being able to, to become a starter? Because both those guys are four or five-star quarterbacks. You know, they're super talented dudes. Yeah, and then you got Harrison Bailey in there too. And the, all those guys in there, they're, they're very talented dudes. They can all sling the ball around the, the place. They all care a lot about football. They spend a lot of time in it. And everything I've heard, because um, I was got together with some of them this past weekend, like they have nothing but good things to say about Tyler as well. And uh, just knowing, you know, what Brian does and, and how good of a coach he is, knowing that he's going to have all of them prepared and and ready to play. And, um, you know, I, I truly think any of those guys in there, because like if, if you look at, at Tyler and what he's, I haven't done a ton on it, but I, from what I've seen and heard is that, Hey, when he plays, he's really stinking good. Right. Mm -hmm. It's yeah. just, he hasn't been able to stay healthy. And so I hope, I hope that he does because I, I don't ever want him to be hurt. Right. Um, but and, and I, I truly believe in all those guys. I do because I know the way they work. Um, I know the time they put in and, and the talent they have um, matches their work ethic. Right. And, and that's such an important thing. And, and, you know, you can have all the tools you want, but if you're not willing to to put in the work and the time, then it's not going to work for you. And and all those guys do that. And so that's the important thing. You, so, you said something interesting there about Brian Brom, obviously being your last quarterback coach, but like, to me, that's my childhood, like hero. What was, what was that like <laughs> being well, in a, I mean, was he, was he like, I, Oh yeah. Like I, I set this record. That's I my picture over the yeah, wall. Right yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Dude, he, he would love to like 
throw him in every once in a while, right? Like he always liked to he'd always like to be like, hey Jack, like if you wanna like break my single game passing yards record, like that'd be really cool, man. Like you can break my record. <laughs> it's four hundred and seventy-four <laughs> yards, Jack. Good like, luck. Just, yeah, right. <laughs> exactly. What do you know what it is? I thought it was no, I have no idea. No, I, think clue, it's but I, would, I would believe it. I, I mean, you gotta think, man. Back in the day, they used to sling that football around. They had, you know, but between the the years of Bobby 1.0 until 2-2, they didn't have another thousand yard receiver during that entire window, man. If that tells you anything about what they did at the wide receiver and quarterback position, it was so much fun. And now you got Brian here, Harry Douglas is on ESPN, man. You got Eric Wood all over the place. Like these guys are it's it's crazy. It, it really is Vince is right. Like I was going to ask you, how much film of himself did he show you all? Did he ever like, oh, oh I'm so glad you asked because I was going to say you're going to love this. <laughs> so one of the best dynamics, right, is the the Brian Jeff brother aspect, right? Because normally no one can say anything to Jeff, right? Like when Jeff gets ticked off, you guys have seen it. He gets he gets going, right? Right. Well, Brian's his brother. So, you know, it's a little it's a little different, right? You can go back and forth with your brother a little bit, even if he is your boss. So they were arg- they they were arguing about this play and like what the read was and what they'd done in the past. And Brian was like, no, dude, I'm telling you, you gotta look here first. He's like, why? We would have never thrown that there. He goes, I threw a touchdown. I threw a touchdown on this play to that route because I peaked it first. And he was like, no, you didn't. So the good thing is our film system goes all the way back through. Brian. Oh, yeah. Oh, he yeah. Went and he pulled it up and like dropped it on his desk. and was like, here it is. There you go. See that? That's me throwing a touchdown. Just like I said. That's gold. That's I'm, gold. Yeah, I'm so here for that, man. That is <laughs> That is a level of, I don't want to call it pettiness, but that is a level of like, I'm right and you're wrong that I, my wife and I have a very that's, similar dynamic. That's a, that's <laughs> I would go civil, back to the film ball. rivalry type stuff right there. Yeah, man. I love that's, that. That's, that's that is great, man. Well, well, go ahead, Matt. So obviously Shuck comes in, but he's far from the only transfer coming in. They've got, I think, what, two dozen now. And several of them are like, High quality. You don't know. You don't say. I I write. I write about this stuff, and I've lost track. Yeah, it's insane. It's. I don't know how you keep track of it. It's. It's a lot. I don't get a lot of sleep. But uh, (laughs) anyway, it's like a a lot of these guys are like really high quality stuff. Really coming from uh, great schools, have a lot of talent, production, experience. I mean, right now they've got the number one transfer portal class in college football, and it's not even close. And then they bring a handful of really productive guys. It's another year where Brom kind of has his footing and the staff. Everyone comes back, which I'd be hard pressed to find like another power five program that retains everyone pretty much. So what do you think with all that being said, what do you think is going to be like the ceiling for this team in year two under Brom? Cause obviously they've already gotten to the ACC championship, but do you, do you realistically see this as the team that can take the next step to say not only getting back to the championship game, but winning that and maybe making a run at, a, at an outside shot to make the 12 team college football playoff. So you may not like this answer, but just with the way college football has gone, I have no clue. <laughs> I mean, everybody has so much turnover and so much change. Like, other than you know Ohio State and Georgia, I don't I don't know who's going to be good next year. Like yeah, every and and there's just so much. To, the thing about the transfer portal 
is that it's awesome and it's given a lot of guys opportunities, like a guy like Tyler Hudson that was under-recruited, an absolute stud, right? Got an opportunity to come up and show that he can play at the Power 5 level and still ball at the Power 5 level. But it's opened up this window where we now have like true college free agency and you have all this turnover and so much of what makes a team good, not necessarily what makes a team good, but what makes the difference between uh, a good team and a great team is how those players mesh, how that locker room situation is. And that's why not just, that's why not just coaching staff wise was such a difference for us uh, this year, but also I have not been a part of a transfer class that meshed so well with our the team and with each other as we did this past year, right? And the amount, and you don't always see that with transfers that they're super excited to be bought in to what's happening because sometimes dudes are transferring for a reason. That's not just because we've never seen that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Sometimes the reason you weren't playing was not because the coach just randomly had a vendetta out for you. But it was <laughs> Those, a the random vendetta. You didn't deserve to be playing. Bro, right? I don't know why I'm in the doghouse. Yeah, I don't know why I'm in the doghouse. I only don't stay any extra, do extra work. And study I show, and I've only, yeah. only been late to six lifts this week. <laughs> <laughs> oh, but, uh, man. But, dude, I, I mean, there are a lot of good pieces in place and a lot of good leadership pieces in place. You know, guys like Ashton Gelati, guys like uh, uh, Maurice Turner, Michael Gonzalez, Renato Brown. You know, you got guys, Josh Black and Austin Collins that have been there a long time that are really mm-hmm. solid pieces, not just for our offensive line in terms of playing in depth, as as well as just human beings in that locker room and leadership. Um, so, and as long as guys are buying in and understanding, hey, like there's a reason we were successful and it's not just because we went out on the field and ran these plays, right? There's a certain things we did. Like, I mean, we were having, we as an offense uh, hung out more as a group than we ever had, right? And some of that was uh, forced because, not forced because I'm not trying to say it was, we had to do it. But, hang out with Jack, man. Everybody else is being mean to him, Evan. Got to hang I out mean, with him. Sorry, I was just trying not to get us an NCAA violation about, like, meetings or something. It was just <laughs> out of necessity because we all realized, hey, we need to spend extra time together learning this offense. So that was part of it. And then that morphed into, hey, all right, we're done for the day. You guys want to come to the pool and I'll grill out, like, 45 burgers or – Brian, bros, man. Brian's smoking ribs at at his house with his wife and having all the offensive line. And we did do that. That was fun. I made all the quarterbacks come and help like serve the food because Brian told me about it. And I was, he was like, do the quarterbacks want to come? I was like, yeah, I'll make them all help too. So it can be like, Hey, you <laughs> us all the time. let's serve, let's serve you guys some food. I can there tell you, you, I bet Brian's wife really appreciated that. Really appreciated oh, yeah. you bringing hands on deck, man. Because if you're bringing people to feed, especially of that size, like you got to have some help cleaning up. So I, re- I, I would imagine my wife would have appreciated that. That's a great gesture for you. You're an adult. Look at you, man. You're an adult. I am He's been like an adult. He showed up on campus, man. I was more immature than he was. His <laughs> He's like, I'm your coach, and I'm. You might see me at the bar Friday night. Don't say anything to Sat when you see me at practice the next day. <laughs> 
That's why everybody likes you, Ben. See, you're just one of us, man. We, you're had, just one of we us. had a good time signaling together, Evan. We did. I believe it, man. Yeah, we did. Dude, no, Vince, Vince was awesome to me my, my freshman year. Cause I remember, you know, it, it was it was strange that some of the most time I spent with with people my first semester was Devonte Pete, who was how old was Petey? Like 23, 24? Yeah, Pete was like a six-year senior. And how old were you? Uh, I don't know, like 21, 22-ish. Yeah, like, and I was 17 at the time, right, when I got there. And, like, because Vince was always willing to, like, hey, like, you need somebody to catch? Like, I'll I'll catch a few balls for you and help you out with that. And Petey always wanted to run routes, so I'd stink in – almost every day was before dinner would like meet up with him and, and throw in the indoor, just, just me and him. And just, you know, a 17 year old from North Georgia and a 24 year old from uh, uh, South Florida and couldn't have possibly lived any different lives or have different life experiences. And that's the most incredible thing about college football. And I will, anybody that asks me, that's always what I say. It's the most incredible thing about college football is that there's so many different backgrounds perspectives lifestyles that all come together and you're all merged under one uh roof one umbrella one locker room and you create these bonds that it, there's no other situation in the world where you would create that bond with that person just out of availability right like oh yeah who else are you gonna hang out with your teammates that's all you got right man well how, how often am i going to create a close relationship with some dude from from california from houston like i don't i don't go there i don't live there like well, yeah not- one of my best friends is chris oh. taylor yamano we talk every day i mean he moved back to louisville now because his family oh, he moved here. but i mean spring break one year in college i went out stayed out at his place i mean college football is cool that's the one thing i do miss i don't miss practice i'm sure you won't be missing practice anytime soon either you'll definitely miss game day and running out of the tunnel uh the first time but yeah, you know, me and Isaac over there screaming over your shoulder. You won't miss it too much. It'll I was be, gonna say it's be our just like game day. it is our duty, Evan, that for Austin P, you leave that with the true fan experience. That is our duty, is and not Matt because Matt's gonna be in the press box eating the cookies and he never comes down to the yeah. right. level. But we're gonna be there. The thing about we hang us out with is the common people, we do, and we drink a lot of beer and have a lot of fun and watch a lot of good football. And we will make sure that you will you'll be sad. I remember asking Isaac the last game of the year, whatever that was, Vince. It's like you yeah. missed it. He's like, yeah. Man, I miss it a lot on days like today. But we'll chug a beer and it'll be Especially fine. when y'all are winning 10 games, bro. I went through a 2-10 season. <laughs> I would have shot somebody for 10 games, man. <laughs> Dude, that's what I was like. You know, I think this might be a good one to go out on. You know? yeah, right. Go out go. on a high yeah. note. I should have went out on the Heisman, Heisman Trophy, man. What am I thinking? <laughs> Man, incredible stuff. Well, Evan, we can't thank you enough for joining the show. This has been an absolute uh, pleasure to to sit down and chat with you. Um, because we we I don't know. I bet you probably didn't know us, but we've been talking about you all season long. Because I mean, again, you don't ever be you don't get to be the team that has the quarterback laying out for a punt. Man, that's just fun for a podcast. So, thank you again for everything. It's been a, a real pleasure to chat with you. And best of luck as you get into the world and join us, uh, men that are failing at being adults. So. You got it, man. You got it, man. Thank you, it, was, it was fun talking with you guys. Appreciate it. Appreciate man. you, Evan. That will wrap up the show from the Pink Seeds podcast. Thank you all so much for tuning in. We will be back next week to break down the other side of the ball defensively with more special guests. Be sure to subscribe from the Pink Seeds podcast anywhere you get your shows from and check us out on YouTube at the State of Blue. We'll see you next week. Until then, go Cards.
What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? Hero Bread serves up 0 to 1 grams of net carbs, 5 to 11 grams of protein, and high fiber in every delicious serving. Made with natural ingredients, Hero Bread supports gut health, promotes weight management, and helps maintain blood sugar. Hero also drops other limited edition ultra-low net carb goodies like rich, flaky croissants and buttery brioche slider rolls. Head to Hero.co to shop today.